when the world eaters codex lands there's going to be three agendas in there named kill main and burn i just assume that's going to be the case <laughs> Welcome to episode 47 of the Narrative Wargamer podcast, a non-competitive 40k podcast with a focus on fun and narrative gameplay, as well as hobby news and our latest hobby projects. I am Tony Rhodes, and tonight I am joined by Darren Wright. Hello. And for the first time joining us tonight on the show, Elliot Rice. Hi there. As always, before we get started, you can find us at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook, or you can follow us on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer. You can also contact us via email at narrativewargamer at gmail.com if you have any questions or if you would like to join us on a future episode. If you want to support the show and help us grow, you can do so by joining our Patreon for only $2 a month. As a supporter, you can listen to our bonus episodes on Patreon and get access to our patrons-only group chat. The support from our patrons helps us produce the show and goes towards awesome new content for you guys in the future. Finally, if you want to support the show for free, you can do by visiting the awesome folks over at Element Games for all your hobby supplies and gaming miniatures. Just use our affiliate link below to visit their web store, and that way any purchases you make will directly help support the podcast. Links for everything are in the description below, so please check them out and get involved with the growing community. And in fact, for the first time um, in a little while, our own personal little community here is growing because... Welcome, Elliot. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Tony. It's nice to be here. Uh, yeah, it's it's lovely to have you on. You've actually um you've come on tonight to be our sort of resident chaos expert because uh, the the main topic for tonight is going to be our uh, return to the on crusade segments. In particular, we're going to be looking at the chaos space marines on crusade. Yeah, it's very exciting. It's funny that I'm here as a resident Chaos expert, as I've actually only played one game ever as Chaos, but I have been planning this for a very long time and I'm very excited about this codex. So it's, uh, it is really, really good to be here. Great. Um, I'd say it's, um, it's great to have you here on the show. Um, I know we had you at the Crucible of War as well earlier this year. So um, funnily enough, not playing with Chaos there and then, but... Um, I'm sure we will hear from a, uh, a Tales from the Crucible from yourself in the near future all about that. Yeah, it was a, it was a great event and uh, yeah, that would be really fun to do a, uh, a Tales of the Crucible. Um, so just tell us briefly then a little bit about your sort of like hobby background. Like how long have you been in the hobby and um, I suppose what armies do you collect? Absolutely. So I actually grew up in Nottingham, so I uh, used to go to Warhammer World on the weekends, which was very nice, and I didn't realise how spoiled I was as a child. Um, couldn't <laughs> afford anything, of course, um, but it was uh, it was nice to be there around, uh, around all the lovely armies and nice tables. Didn't understand the game at that point. And then about um, five years ago, my, my work colleague and I were in the, in the, pi- in the pint, 
my work colleague and I were in the pub having a pint and <laughs> uh, we, we had maybe had one too many and went to the Warhammer store the, the next day and bought some Warhammer and uh, ever since then I've been collecting all sorts of armies across um, Age of Sigmar, uh, 40k and uh, well all, all, all the Games Workshop products you can think of basically. Can you remember at all what it was you picked up on that like first purchase? It's funny, actually, I got back into uh, when Age of Sigmar was first launched. Uh, that's how I started back in the hobby. And then, uh, but my first 40k repurchase was uh, some Dark Angels. Uh, Dark Angels are uh, my baby. So it's one of the many armies that I collect. Um, but then I soon moved on to um, Adeptus Mechanicus. I've got some Knights. I've got some Blood Angels. I've got some, I've got some Eldar Iandon. And... Uh, I've got some Night Lords as well, so uh, yeah, I've got a few, I've got a few bits uh, going on. Uh, but yeah, my Night Lords are my most recent project. But I mostly play Blood Angels and Iandon, really. Nice. And um, what was it then that sort of helped you find the Narrative Wargamer podcast, and I suppose like our side of the uh, the gaming community? Absolutely, yeah. So D Darren actually uh got me onto your podcast it's a it's a really really great podcast we've been playing bits of crusade and uh all sorts of narrative type uh, gaming for the last uh, year basically but before that i was in london and i had a really good war gaming community in london who were all about the fluff uh, and the narrative well some of them were some of them were some of them were pretty hardcore but <laughs> uh, most of them liked a fluffy game so uh yeah got just sort of got into that and a bit of bit of fluffy writing around you know the the lore and i'm really into my reading so big fan of you know eisenhorn and the night lords trilogy and some of those big books there uh, so yeah just love to play a narrative game really and you guys are all about that so um yeah just want to just wants to get involved in the community really excellent well i'm glad you found us and uh Sounds like Darren is glad to have found you as a, a, a gaming buddy as well. Oh, definitely, yeah. Um, I, th I think Elliot told me like most about 40k. Like, I think it was just like we had like weekly games or every two weeks. Um, so just kind of playing quite regularly, like really got me from like beginner level to actually kind of understanding the game now. Yeah, Darren's much better than me now. <laughs> I was gonna say it's it's surprising how deep the game goes, doesn't it? Like when you first get into it, you can't imagine how many layers of depth and complexity there is into a you know a game about toy soldiers. No, it's crazy at first. Like I find it quite overwhelming at first, but uh, definitely just having the regular kind of we've got like a good good club over here and good a lot of good people playing with each other and stuff. So that's been really good. I say me and Elliot just kind of met by chance as well, didn't we? Like, yeah, I um, one of my, what my uh, opponent didn't turn up to his game, did he? So I just came and was like, "Can I watch you guys play?" <laughs> and you were kind enough to say yes. So uh, and then from there, I I just didn't leave you alone, really, did I? So <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that's sometimes the the best way to make new friends in this hobby. I mean, I don't know anyone really who has ever, you know turn someone away you know from from watching their game 
because yeah. uh, we're all we're all in it together, aren't we? To sort of enjoy the spectacle that is this hobby. So yeah, I'm always you know I encourage anyone to come up and ask to watch any game that I'm playing, and I'll more than happily you know get them involved. I was quite lucky as well because it was one of my first games, really. So uh, having like Elliot there to kind of just kind of go over the rules and stuff while my opponent because my opponent was helping me quite well as well he's like an old friend but um yeah to have someone else there to just kind of maybe give me some tactics or something is quite nice <laughs> excellent um so yeah then um so as, as i've mentioned we've um we've invited elliot on tonight to talk to us about uh chaos space Marines on crusade uh, so that's going to be later on in the show. Uh, before then, we are going to run through just one or two quick announcements. We're going to discuss some of our recent games played, and we are going to have a, uh, a Tales from the Crucible with David Cuthbertson tonight. And this is a this is a, this is a good one. This was our um, resident player who was being reintroduced to the game of Warhammer, and it was in fact some of his first games of Ninth Edition. <laughs> Uh, that were being played at the Crucible of Wars. He certainly had the uh, sort of beginner slash returning to the hobby perspective um, from the Crucible of Wars. This is a this is a good one. And then after that, we'll come back for our Chaos Space Marines on Crusade, and then we'll round out the evening with our community spotlights. So before we dive into our games played, we have just one or two announcements for the start of the show. First of which is our latest patrons. And I say patrons because we've actually got two names to shout out tonight since the last episode. First of which is a very familiar one, Darren Wright. So thank you, Darren. That's the least I can do. Um, <laughs> since I'm always listening and I'm now on the podcast. And, and uh, following in the footsteps now of uh, Chris Walburn, <laughs> who I believe is our other resident patron who got his shout out on the episode in which he was featuring. <laughs> um, but also thank you very much to Casey Donahue, who has also pledged since the last episode and has joined our Patreon so um, I'll be making sure that invites for our group chats and our um, Discord patrons channel goes out and that uh, yeah, you guys can start enjoying listening to the um, casual conversations episodes which hopefully we should be getting another one done next week at some point because of course, we need our at least monthly dose of uh, just casual ramblings and uh, all sorts of obscure topics to discuss. Quite often, seemingly straying into um, Age of Sigmar lore seems to happen more often than we would expect, but it does. <laughs> I think I uh, I subscribed to the Patreon just after the last one went up and give it a look like that was the first one I got to listen to. It was really good. Definitely worth uh, picking up there patronage for it yeah and i'm hoping that we'll be able to get some more sort of content out to the patrons uh, in the near future as well because uh like we really are on the cusp of some exciting new things now and uh, there's gonna be some exciting new content in the future for all listeners and for the patrons as well so uh exciting times ahead but there'll be a, a little more news on that at some other point in time not tonight <laughs> <laughs> so um, the only other thing though is that in the future we do also have the Crucible of War 2 coming up so again uh, for those of you who perhaps this is the first time you've uh, found the show it's the first time listening 
um, then the Crucible of War is basically now the premium narrative event that we hold um, here at Narrative War Gamer, and um, yeah, it's it's proving pretty popular. There's still tickets available at this moment in time for Crucible of War 2, taking place at Tabletop Events um, in Derbyshire on October 15th. So if you're interested in attending that, then go check out Tabletop Events. There'll be links for tickets and the event pack in the description below. And as always, feel free to listen to our Tales from the Crucible coming up later this episode to hear from someone who attended the previous Crucible of War. And if you like what you hear, then get involved. There's still a chance that you can pick up a ticket and come play yourself. So yeah. Looking forward to meeting anyone and everyone who does attend come this October. So yeah, uh, without further ado, I think we'll move on now to our games played. Games played. And we're back. So, I think it's only fair that uh, starting out with our little Games Played segment tonight, we have Darren and Elliot, I believe, tell us about their recent game together. Because uh, was this your first time out with the Chaos Codex, Elliot? It was, and it was very, very, very spicy. Um, Darren and I were actually on the same team because we were doing a 2v2, so he didn't actually get to feel the wrath of the Chaos Codex, um, but unfortunately some of our poor friends uh, did uh, get to feel it but they were all loyalist Astartes uh, that we were facing so they they deserved it um, but it was um, it was a really fun game actually and uh, the, the Chaos Codex has a lot of nice tricks and Demon Princes are quite scary <laughs> <laughs> as they should be absolutely so yeah not, fa- not facing it yet but um, I've seen what it can do when it was on my side so I'm kind of uh not looking forward to going up against it. It's really. <laughs> so, um, how were you finding the Night Lords were performing then as a as a legion? Oh, they're 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 brilliant, absolutely brilliant. They there's so many warlord traits and relics that I wanted to take, but obviously with the new CP rules, it would have left us with nothing. So, uh, it's they're they're just fantastic to be honest really quite scary lots of leadership debuffs you can get quite comfortably to minus three leadership uh which even for you know space marine intercessors is scary because you know they're down to five leadership and then uh if if they lose one one chap then they're in trouble for you know um out of action not out of action that's that's in crusade (laughs) um you know lead morale tests it's uh yeah they're they're really quite fun you know I've got a lot of raptors in my force because you have to because I'm a night lord. Um, but yeah, they're really fun, and they were a good pairing for <laughs> for the orcs. <laughs> Absolutely, they they paired well with Darren's um, orcs. I think we we made for one big blob of scary running straight into the. Actually, we were playing um, Dark Angels and Space Wolves teaming up together, so they were also quite scary. Dark Angels are pretty good on the table at the moment um pretty tough to move um but yeah we we took we tore them we tore them up yeah it was my first time facing uh, space wolves as well so it was quite interesting 
how did you find um, how did you find all the uh, heroic intervening um, play out? Uh, running a speed while I didn't see it too much, but I, there was a lot of it on the other side of the table where uh, Elliot got into a big chunk with uh, his um, with your raptors over at the back. Yeah, I d you, you can do some naughty yeah, things with raptors. Nice big blob, yeah, I got. I think I had a blob of nine raptors, and you you can use one of their stratagems to deep strike turn one, which we didn't need because of the deployment in this game. But it's really a, a turn one deep strike with a blob of ten raptors for one CP is uh, quite overpowered. But um, yeah, they're they're really fun. They've got some flamers on there, and yeah, I really like playing against the space wolves because you just never know when you're going to get a whole unit intervening or you know characters intervening. Six, you know, it's it's. You just have to, you just have to go in there and get ready for a fight, really. So, but the, that's exactly what the Nightlaws wanted. So it was, it worked to our favour this time. And um, what was the the sort of like mission you were playing? And if it was a two v two, was it just a a sort of standard mission, or was it something you had um, put together for a multiplayer game? Yeah. Uh, well, this time it was. Just, it was a tempest of war because it was we were playing with a ah, new guy, yeah. we were like a returning a friend of ours, and then he brought a new like friend along. So did uh, nothing too fluffy, but it was kind of in the the realm of the the kind of planetary system we've set up for our like fluffy games. So it was fighting on the the planet. The uh, night lords have arrived on the the planet that my orcs kind of inhabit, and then uh, yeah, the space marines turned up to kind of push them back a little bit because the orcs have been causing a bit of a menace and uh, they also wanted to take out a few a few chaos heard they were on the way nice how have you been finding um, Tempest of War oh yeah that was actually my first game of Tempest I think you've played it before haven't you Elliot yeah I have I, I, I like it it's it's fun it adds you know I like the changing secondaries uh, I didn't I'm not a big fan of secondaries in general we tend to do our own custom secondaries or you know play something that we you know we both play the same thing or we, we make a fluffy thing when darren and i usually play but tempest of war gives you that dynamic changing secondaries which i really like the only thing i would say is if you get a bad hand you it can kind of ruin your whole game so it's 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 interesting um but i'd have to i've only played a couple of times with it so i'd have to i'd have to give it a few more tests but in principle really like it yeah, I've I've sort of had a similar you know experience with it now because I agree you know like bad hands are bad hands but then that's the same as bad dice. Do you know what I mean? Like it's it's more just that random element to a uh, a game system that uses randomization inherently. So I I don't think it's a big issue because it will probably in theory balance itself out. From what I've seen, a lot of Tempest games seem to be close. You know, it doesn't seem to be that any one player typically wins by a large margin. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And for I think I've just got so used to playing fluffy, <laughs> fluffy games. Um, but for match play, it's really good. Um, it's absolutely, it's to be honest, the the state of match play for me personally isn't that fun. So to to have something like you said that balances out the randomness because there were some builds for secondaries and all sorts that were, were very oh, they're being used all the time weren't they for some lists so it, it, it does add that nice variability in there 
And you're right, a lot, both of the games I've played have been very close, so that can only be a good thing, can't it? Yeah, like I would definitely advise Tempest of War as being like the go-to place for a good time playing match play at the moment. Um, and I think there's a lot of people that are endorsing it for that, you know, those same reasons. Now, you know, for me personally, I still very much have a ton of fun playing through um, the like narrative missions that I've crafted for the Crucible of War. So <laughs> I've got a whole backlog of those to go through and enjoy. But as part of um, preparation for a Tempest of War event that I've been invited to at the end of the month, I also played a Tempest game against a Chaos player <laughs> just the last week gone. Awesome. How did you get on, Tony? That? Well, it was very close. Um, it, in the end, I think there was um, six, seven points in it, something like that. Um, wow. It was... I think it was 62 to 69 um, as the final score. And uh, yeah, it was it was a great game. So I played with my Death Skull Orcs and I was playing against uh, my friend Sharpie, who was um, at the Crucible of War. And Darren, you were you actually know him with his uh, particularly neon Necrons. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so you've had the pleasure of playing him in the past, but this was with his, um, it's not like his custom Renegade. Chaos Space Marine chapter, and he was using the Alpha Legion uh, Legion traits rules for them. Um, and ooh, there's some there's some sneaky stuff that those Alpha Legionnaires get up to. <laughs> I can tell you that. Um, <laughs> I mean, dealing with the minus one to hit over twelve slash eighteen inches, depending on what unit is. Um, obviously, it was a hindrance to various sort of orc shooting, but for me, that basically just meant I had to prioritize targets like i would have to engage nearest things as opposed to just anything that i felt like dealing with at a given time um the biggest thing though that was a big swing was the alpha legion unique prayer that his dark apostle um was using because that's a it's a a, a blessing effect on a unit that means that you can't hit it on uh, better than a four plus with ranged or melee, um, and you can't re-roll to hit against them. That's really oh, bad wow. for your death skulls then. So, in the case of death skulls, it forces me to use my re-roll on the wound roll. Um, but the main thing was the fact that uh, the turn where it was a critical uh, impact was when my Gorkonaut, which should have been hitting on twos due to the war banner that was following it, um, charged into his Chaos Terminators and his Dark Apostle. And um, as a result of only hitting on fours and me whiffing a roll, I all, only managed to squish one of the Apostle's accompanying cultist friends. Wow, that's, uh, that's outrageous. Yeah, it was funny because I'd, I'd called the new war and everything, um, which was brilliant, by the way, but <laughs> it meant this Gorkonaut went swinging in with about, um, like, I, I was going for six damage six attacks, like just a big sort of smash profile. Um, and because I couldn't re-roll hits against um, the Terminators, I opted to target the Apostle, but he has he had one of the Alpha Legion Warlord traits, which is the same thing, but on him personally. Oh no. So 
the difference is that while he could only be hit on fours, I am allowed to re-roll against the Warlord trait. So it would, there was a marginally better, you know, target option there. And obviously he was also the person who has that prayer for future turns. So I thought, right, I'm just going to have to go all in, put all six attacks on trying to squish this Dark Apostle. And I only needed one to connect and it would, you know, uh, just flatten him. Uh, but in the end, I uh, I think I whiffed on four of the attacks, which would have hit if it wasn't for that Warlord trait. Um, and then of the two successful hits, only um, one wounded. Um, and I think I think I even like CP rerolled and failed on the reroll, so I only had one uh, land and just squashed his one cultist friend. <laughs> oh, can they can they pass it over then? Can they pass well, over the wound? So in the case of the Dark Apostle, he's a unit of three models, which is him oh. and two cultists. So annoying. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's okay, though, because... Uh, so while that was, like, one crucial uh, point in the game where this Gorkonaut charge... It, basically, the charge phase of turn two for me was where my assault sort of fell flat compared to what was expected to happen. Because one, this Gorkonaut whiffed uh, charging the Terminators and the Apostle... Admittedly, because, you know, his blessings and Warlord's uh, traits were attempting to nullify it, but, like, I still roll badly even for that. <laughs> and uh, didn't uh, force through like I was hoping. And then secondly, my Mega Armored War Boss that was behind him um, was attempting to charge this Venom Crawler that was only five inches away, and he failed to charge, despite oh, re no. having built-in rerolls for being an Orc. <laughs> so... I was expecting this wounded Venom Crawler to be, be torn apart, and I was expecting these Terminators to be crippled, and neither of those things happened. And then, in the following turn, um, Sharpie backed off, fired on this Gorkonaut, and, and killed it. But of course, it exploded. Yay. Oh, great. Um, <laughs> which, being a Titanic you know, vehicle, it uh, had a pretty big explosion. And basically, as a result... <laughs> Um, it left it left the Dark Apostle on one wound, it killed two Terminators, destroyed the Venom Crawler, killed his Warpsmith who was unwounded but nearby, killed my Big Mech, my Warbanner, um, a bunch of my Orcs, um, and took some wounds off my Warboss, and basically just detonated in the middle of this table, and there was a huge crater. That sounds <laughs> amazing. Yeah, it was. Because it, it, in a funny way, it kind of, like, it caught back up with doing the job it was trying to do. Um, it, it, st it still d did the damage, and the things I still expected to be crippled and dead were dead by my next turn. But only because this Gorkonaut had exploded on its way out. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Can you careen a Gorkonaut? You can. It's 2 CP. Uh, and funnily enough, I realised after the fact that I'd forgotten about that, that I could have done that. But to be honest, I don't think it would have made much difference. I could yeah, probably have like positioned it, it. Yeah, I could probably positioned it so that maybe it didn't take a couple of wounds off my characters and could have done some to a Leviathan Dread instead. That'd have been about it, you know, in terms of difference. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Um, that was like the highlight moment and what was funny about it was I felt like there was some comeuppance for this Dark Apostle because 
Um, I, I can't remember how many wounds it is they have, either five or six, um, but he was on one wound as a result of the explosion from the Gorgonaut. And then in my turn, um, I killed him with Scorcher Missiles because I targeted the Terminators next to him and then used a stratagem where I splash damage one mortal wound onto everything near That's the Terminators. That's <laughs> So this Dark Apostle, who was that like you know clandestine and stealthy and sneaky that he never even properly got swung at, but he just got like <laughs> blasted in this uh, explosion and then burnt up in the, uh, <laughs> the aftermath. That's so good. That's amazing. So they did yeah, get was... lucky. The Blue Orcs did get lucky then. Yeah, they did. The Blue Orcs indeed got lucky. And it, it was a great game. Like There was uh, tons of fun either way. It was the first time we, I got to use my um, Deathcopters. Um, my, it was one of my first games of my proper Tank Busters unit, which they've been having a lot of fun since I've got them painted up. And uh, the funniest thing <laughs> was that uh, on my last turn... Um, in order to try and put, achieve one of my secondary objectives, I pulled um, behind enemy lines where you have to get two of your units into the opponent's deployment zone. Um, or if you only have one unit remaining in your army, if you can get that unit in, then you score two victory points rather than five. Um, and I had two units left, which was um, a Boom Dacker Snazwagon on four wounds and my unit of deathcopters and the deathcopters were absolutely fine they were going to just be able to you know move over into the deployment zone no problem no dice rolls involved but this boom dacker snazwagon couldn't make it so what i had to do instead was i charged it into combat with the leviathan dread and the obliterators with the aim of getting it killed <laughs> <laughs> so that at the end of my turn i only had one unit and it was in the deployment zone <laughs> That's really good. So by getting this Boondacker Snazwagon killed, it scored me two victory points. Worth it. Especially when it's only <laughs> yeah. four wounds. Yeah, it was. It was, uh, it was hilarious. And in the end, like I say, once we totted it all up, it was a seven points difference in it. Um, so it was a good game. I enjoyed it. And uh, I honestly, I didn't find like the Chaos Space Marines to be ridiculous. I thought they were good. I thought they had plenty of tools and, you know, they had some aggressive units, but I also I could kind of deal with something if I needed to. Um, the only real thing which I tried to harm and didn't get anywhere with was the Leviathan Dread. And the only real thing that properly, you know, like ruined my plans, as it were, was that um, Prayer and Warlord trait. So those two key things formed one of the key pivotal moments. Um, and I think that's fine. You, you know, that's just um, a feature of that matchup. You know, playing against an Alpha Legion force and two of the Alpha Legion specific things was one of the sort of main obstacles I had to overcome. Mm, that's. I think that's how it's meant to be, isn't it? You know, and I, that's why I think this codex is so good. Is there's just lots of choice of things that are nice. But nothing apart from Abaddon that yeah. is feeling really overpowered. Um, there might be some things that, you know, as people play through, they'll go, oh, that's a nasty thing to do. Let's do that. But it just feels like you've got a lot of flavor, a lot of choice. You know, nothing's like really rubbish. Um, you can basically take a lot of stuff that, again, there might be some things that people are going, oh, no, this is actually terrible. It should be really good. But I, I, like you said, I think it's just a really 
solid codex, you know, um, that you can have a good game against that doesn't feel like, you know, <laughs> a lot of codex drops where you, you, you want to cry after you've had the game. I'm thinking about, you know, Harlequins and <laughs> all sorts. You know, there's there's lots of armies that aren't fun to play against, but this 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 feels good. Yeah, like I say, I, I felt like I had a good game against it. Um, there were some fun tricks and you know interesting moments. The uh, the there was a unit of Havocs which um, used the redeploy strat from again the Alpha Legion to basically go into strategic reserves. So they disappeared from the back line, and then in my in turn two they appeared on the flank um, to basically gun down some orcs. <laughs> um, there was a unit of just the standard legionnaires that had the mark of corn. And it's funny, they basically, on paper, they didn't do anything other than score some victory points. You know, like they were on some objectives where they needed to be and scored some points uh, for their army. But they didn't get to attack anything and ultimately they got shot to death. But the only reason for that was because I was refusing to send anything near the core knight legionnaires. You know, so I, I was keeping my distance and gunning them down with um, buggies and death copters. And once I'd cleared them off, then I swooped in and picked up the victory points for my attempting target and, you know, holding an objective and all the rest of it. But if they hadn't been core knight, I'd probably been more happy to, you know, close range with them a bit sooner and uh, try and engage them. So they did their job in that they, they created like a, an area of denial while scoring victory points but at the same time i didn't feel like i couldn't deal with them they would i dealt with them and you know so i thought it was a overall a good showing for the codex for my first time against it sounds really good yeah those strength five uh, chain swords aren't uh, pretty gnarly aren't they so <laughs> yeah <laughs> especially when uh by the time i would have been engaged with them it would have been in wanton slaughter as well Oh gosh, exploding sixes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, that's basically been my most recent game, and uh, so I'm, I'm hoping maybe to have another Tempest of War game lined up before I attend the, uh, the Wooden Spoon Wargaming event uh, at the end of the month, but I'm looking forward to it, and I'm sure we'll probably have a whole episode dedicated to reviewing that event and my experience there at the time uh, coming up in the near future so uh, unless either of you two have any other uh, things you want to particularly uh, highlight from a recent game uh, I was going to bring up the if you, I don't know if you want to talk about your what your demon prince did to a bunch of uh, Deathwing Terminators Elliot which was <laughs> yeah we, we could briefly um, basically with um, I, I made my uh, Demon Prince Corn, because obviously it gives him the extra strength and the extra attack. But then I gave him some some of the Night Lord Relic claws, and I gave him a Night Lord Warlord trait that gives him extra D3 extra attacks on the charge. <laughs> um, and and I think it gives an extra AP. But obviously that doesn't matter against Terminators because you know uh, Deathwing Terminators because they've got permanent transhuman. Um, so actually the strength. Uh, and obviously they've got the four, the five up in Vaughan, I think, or four up in, I can't remember what, what the Crooks Terminatus is, but they've got an in Vaughan, so it didn't really matter with the massive AP that I had. Um, but the key bit is that the, da and the damage can't be ignored, but I think basically <laughs> on the charge this guy had 
12 attacks 13 attacks and they were i think it was 30 yeah they were strength at the end of the day again it actually didn't matter against these terminators but i think they were like strength 12 i think i strength strength 11 or strength 12 at minus 4 ap he had you know and a flat two damage and unignorable damage. So against term against uh, dreadnoughts and stuff, it would be really really nice. Actually, against these terminators, it, it wasn't so bad, but it still killed all of a full squad of five, but left one guy on one wound. So it just absolutely tore through him in one <laughs> one turn. It it was a little bit of bad rolling on our opponent's part, but it was a, a spectacle, let's say. Uh, and he did he did finish off that last that last chap in the end as well. So uh, um, yeah, he's gained the. He's gained a nice new, uh, nice new nickname based on his uh, killing of Deathwing Terminators. <laughs> Is it uh, Deadwing? <laughs> Just trying to remember what it is actually. <laughs> I forgot <laughs> what I, I forgot what I called him. Oh. Here you go. That his name is <laughs> Flayer of the Ashen. Is what we called him. Ooh. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that. We'll have to watch out for him in the future. <laughs> Absolutely. He'll be coming to Crucible of War 2, so... Ooh, maybe we'll have to see if we can throw him in a, a Warlord pit with some unfortunate victim. <laughs> see oh, how he, he's, it's a beautiful build as well, isn't it? Your friend, your friend built it for you for uh, something in the area. Yeah, Secret Santa. He's. He, we'll. Uh, I'll give him a quick shout out at the end of this. Actually, um, at the end of the podcast. But um, yeah, he's he's a good friend of of mine, and he's an amazing converter. But we'll we'll talk about that a bit later on. Excellent. Well, um, now seems like a good time as any for us to sort of wrap it up there on games played. So uh, next up, we're going to have one of our latest tales from the Crucible with um, David Cuthbertson. So. That's that was a, a good conversation that I had with him the other week, and yeah, I'm looking forward to you guys to hear that now. So, we'll be back in a moment with our latest tales from the Crucible. You get listen up now and listen good. The boss has got a message for you all. It looks like some of the boys have been joining the war before they got themselves a proper pen job. How are you kids supposed to get any proper crumping done without a lucky blue chopper or dead flashy shooter, eh? The boss is going to be breaking heads if he captures any of you without a proper paint job. So get your ugly hides, tell the paint boy over at Narrative Wah Painter. He'll fix you up good and proper, you hear me? Right. Narrative Wah Painter is now open for painting commissions, specialising in good quality, army-wide standards, you can get a quote today by contacting me at narrativewargamer at gmail.com to discuss any potential hobby projects and so I can help you conquer your horde of grey plastic. You can also check out examples of my work over on Instagram at narrativewargamer. Right you kids, get your loot in the truck and zog off to the paint boy. It better be redder and faster when you get back. And make sure to tell them RedTube sent you. You might get some extra special. You are about to hear of another way to play Warhammer 40,000 beyond that which is known to the ITC. 
a gameplay experience not only of victory points and match results, but of narrative. A tale of deadly battlefields, tactical challenges and narrative scenarios. Welcome, dear listener, to the latest installment of Tales from the Crucible. And we're back, guys, with the latest in our Tales from the Crucible. So tonight, I'm joined by David Cuthbertson. Hi, Tony. Thanks for having me. No worries at all. Thank you for coming on and uh, chatting with us, because um, you are, once again, one of our latest members from the Crucible of War, who's uh, been very kind enough to come on the show and talk to us about your experience. Oh, it's great. Um, more than happy to be here. It's been a, a long time since I've been on a podcast, so it's always nice to be back on one. I mean, that's probably more experience than some people have had. So uh, <laughs> it's good to um, get you back on, as it were. No, and, thanks. Uh, yeah, um, hopefully it's going to just be a, a good chat tonight for maybe about you know, 40, 50 minutes, something like that. And uh, we're just going to go through your sort of experience um, leading up to and during the crucible of war so um at this point uh, to any listeners who are new to the show or this is the first time they've heard one of these um this is going to be a sort of rundown of david's experience from the crucible of all crucible of war event day that took place back at the end of april this year um it was the first narrative wargamer narrative play event that we've hosted and um yeah part of the the whole sort of concept of the event was that everybody was going to be playing a different set of three unique missions throughout the day so we've heard a few different perspectives now and heard a few of the different games experiences that people have had and uh, david's going to tell us all about his so uh, i guess first of all david um what why did you sign up for the crucible of war and uh, you know what took uh, what took your interest about it and uh, how did you discover it yeah absolutely um so I guess I discovered it on um, in an Instagram post that was one of yours that had been shared by um, someone else that I followed. And to give a bit of background from me, I had only picked up the hobby again um, in lockdown, like many people. Um, I had nothing particularly exciting to do um, in the evenings and didn't really want to play computer games. So I thought, hey, um, I think in the loft there's some old models. Um, let's see what's going on in the hobby nowadays. Um, and obviously, you know, that was the last time I played was third. So it had been a big gap and the massive kind of changes. And I was like, I'd, I'd quite like to get back into this. I wonder what I can do. But in the intervening period, I've been playing um, a number of sort of fantasy or, or, or um, sci-fi games and the biggest one for me was was D and D. I quite enjoyed playing D and D over the internet, like I'm sure many people have done during lockdown. <laughs> yeah. And so it was that role playing element or the, the story driven element that I think it's it is often left out of, um, or at least was left out of a lot of the the new 40k that I was hearing. It was a, a lot of the stuff was about competitions and competitiveness and you know meta games and uh, meta units and after hearing a number of other podcasts that talk a lot about that, this sounded like a breath of fresh air and something that, you know, especially for a, a new player, 
six editions later, it felt like a good kind of introduction into um, playing again. So as soon as I saw it, I just I thought, right, that's it. I'm signing up to that and building an army for it. Um, so that's where I started. Yeah, it's really funny because um, when you first, you reached out to me before um, attending the event, sort of asking about how basically user-friendly it was going to be to newer players because this was in fact essentially some of your very first games of 9th edition 40k um, that you were going to be playing and um, I was I, I was pleasantly surprised to you know discover that there was someone who wanted their sort of dive back into the game or you know, sort of learning this edition to be directly from the narrative perspective like that you were so enthusiastic about jumping into a narrative event like this and i thought it was great so yeah i was i was really encouraging of it and um yeah like i hope you had a great time with it and it wasn't too uh too much uh, you know all at once because um it's funny how to me i often think that the crucible of war and generally the sort of narrative games that we promote on the podcast are probably a little more complicated than the standard games of ninth edition because of the layers of complexity but I think you mentioned um, when we've been talking before that one of the things that appealed to you about this was the lack of things like needing knowledge of secondaries and stuff like that um, and the complexities of scoring involved with um, traditional match play stuff at the moment in Ninth Edition and instead the scoring within the Crucible of War stuff is often quite straightforward because it's typically one primary goal that the players are, are trying to achieve. And then everything else, the complexity in that is the storytelling and the environments and all the other elements, but it's not so complicated about path to victory. Yeah, absolutely. Um, funnily enough, in my first game um, with, with James, um, he and I weren't exactly sure how the scoring worked. And so he was like, okay, we better pick some secondaries. And we started down that road. And then I think he went over <laughs> to speak to you and came back and was like, yeah, we don't need those. So, so um, yes, I, I, I remember that. Yeah. So, so this was your, your first game of the event was against, um, it was actually against James March, wasn't mm -hmm. it? Yeah, it was. It was, uh, it was yeah, so one of the event, um, <laughs> the venue owners um, and his excellent uh, Vinted Tyranids. And I remember him coming over, yeah, sort of not long after you sort of, you know, start planning to get, like, you know, getting set up and with mission and stuff. And, I think he asked about, so what do we do with secondaries and stuff? And again, I think it was almost that autopilot mindset of it's ninth edition, you know, playing a game, so what are our secondary choices? And I was like, don't need secondaries for this. Like, that's the point. There's just the primary score provided by your, uh, your mission objectives, which um, let me just check my notes. I believe your first mission was, unless you can remember it offhand. <laughs> Um, it was the one with that... um, electrical um, things that we both placed at the start of the before ah, the mission, yes. and you know stuff in line yeah. between them would get damaged. You were playing assault on the installation, which uh, it, it does. Uh, that was one of the crusade missions that plays to the sort of standard arch type of scoring in that it's about holding objective markers. You know, in no man's land, and there's three of them in that particular mission but the environment effect is that basically they're all um, powerpoint nodes on this you know power grid that powers the facility so you're playing on a very industrialized map um, and 
every round, you randomized, um, you rolled a dice each to determine a, a random number of one of the three objectives. And whichever two you rolled up, you drew a line between them because there's you know arcing energy that's traveling between those two nodes and it would inflict mortal wounds on units across that line. Or if you both rolled the same number, that particular objective marker would sort of radiate energy for that turn in a sort of like an area of effect around it. So there were kind of like two different methodologies of this arcing energy sparking around the armies as you're competing to control the power nodes. Um, and that was without including things like um, the like quantum shielding that the objective markers offered, the um, defense triggers that they would have if people charged them, um, and I think there was even a stratagem you could have used to teleport between objective markers. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we. Um, the funny thing was we we read it, and then we forgot about it, and we. Um, <laughs> We just were like, okay, so this is your first game with Ninth, and this is my first game with the new Tyranid Codex. And so uh, we'll just kind of see how we get on. Um, and so that meant that while we did place them and we did score them, um, that was it. That was the limit of our kind of um, interaction with the environment, um, yeah. which is, as you say, those layers of complexity. Um, we did drop that one, but that's fine considering that you know for you two. Um, the, I mean, this in your case was literally one of your. It was your first like full scale strike force mission of ninth edition, so that's completely understandable. Um, and in the first round, especially that, maybe not to that extent, but it was a, a more common occurrence across all the tables that the players might maybe forget one of the layers of rules for the environment stuff or whatever. Um, or might forget to do the triggers in the like in the command phase um, until I was wandering around as like, you know that helpful hand just sort of asking people like oh have you triggered for the energy grid yet or have you checked to see if the dam's busted or you know like has this cool thing happened or where's the avalanche right now where's the lava field and um, it wasn't so much that I was coming in and being all like you know and now this thing happens it's like you these things are happening anyway they're known factors but me just coming in and giving that friendly reminder to people helped um, in like the, the fun environment rules getting forgotten about. <laughs> um, so I, I found that a, a nice experience of my own because quite often I'd come over and they'd be like, oh yeah, we're about to do that. You know, like, oh yeah, let's do that now before we forget. And then I'd get to see the fun environment things play out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I suppose uh, we haven't actually mentioned it at this point yet, but um, you were playing with Blood Angels, weren't you? Yeah, so I was playing um, with some beautiful blood angels, which I borrowed off um, my my friend and uh, a local hobbyist um, to me uh, here, who I met again through Instagram. Um, coincidentally, you know, he lives like three streets away from me, and no, uh... he, he's the one that I was was practicing. Um, we were both learning Ninth Edition um, with kind of quite small scale um, games and. Um, we were. I mean, I was using his army. Um, he couldn't make it, and I couldn't make an army. So he said, "Hey, <laughs> look, I'll just lend you an army. What would you like?" And because I'd been playing as his blood angels against his orcs, I thought, right, at least you know I stand a fighting chance to 
understand Blood Angels um, because I've played Space Marines, even, you know, it's third edition, but they were still Space Marines. Um, so it wasn't too much of a stretch. Um, so every time people will be like, oh, wow, that's, a, that's an amazing paint job on those Blood Angels. I'll be like, yes, it is. They're not mine. I didn't do it. Um, so um, he is at mneil underscore painter on Instagram. Uh, so please take a look. If anyone who didn't see them on the day, please take a look because they are beautiful. Um, and yeah, I think this is the sort of like second edition style Blood Angel Army. Added that more sort of like orange tones. To the absolutely. Um, and added an extra layer of stress because like, oh my goodness, I'd better not, <laughs> better not lose any, damage any, anything like that. Um, but luckily the 90s era foam cases from GW were were perfectly up to the task so no complaints there well uh, speaking of gorgeous looking uh, models and armies as it were um, what was your impression of a whole then of the venue when you first got there and you actually saw the tables we were using that we were going to be playing on yeah so um, I drove down from Manchester and this is the this I realised when I got there this was the first um, local gaming store, non non GW, um, that I had ever visited to play a game. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. So, either I was playing at someone's house, or I was playing at a yes. GW. Whether that be you know when I lived in London or lived in Glasgow or wherever else um, when I was younger. So um, it's the first time that I um, played at some played anywhere that wasn't a GW or someone's um, you know bedroom or garage. Um, which meant that it was amazing to see tables and so many tables set up in one place that weren't specifically for, oh, this is the basic AOS mission or this is the basic um, Space Marines versus whatever the, you know, the flavor of the edition is. I think it was Necrons, this edition. Um, you know, whatever the basic box is. So it was awesome to see such a wide variety and people hanging around chatting about stuff and not worrying about necessarily buying things or selling things um so yeah no it was awesome and i would love to go back and actually spend some quality time looking at the the shelves as well because i simply didn't have time <laughs> yeah honestly it's kind of amazing the sort of stuff they have on selection there at tabletop events because that doesn't even account for being able to fill out 16 tables of necromunda terrain you know which they can wow. also do and that is you know very different in you know scope and scale to um, mm. 40k stuff and it is not light on the terrain either every table is dense um so yeah it is brilliant so i, I i'm glad to hear that it had that kind of you know resonating impact you know that it was like ooh, this is something special it's not just some you know basic table setup for basic gameplay and um like across your games um how did you feel the tables helped tell the story of the environment yeah no they were awesome um again that was they were the best tables i've ever played on um normally like back in the 90s it was whatever we could get you know the my favorite what was it with the polystyrene balls with the um cocktail sticks through it um or uh, yes dave, <laughs> dave special um <laughs> or, or um you know back when everything came with polystyrene 
um, as packaging. You could just break off bits of polystyrene and it'd make a great, you know, um, set of buildings. So yeah, no, it was awesome. Um, again, I think this is because it's been about 20 years since I last played the incredible improvement in every every single aspect of the hobby is really kind of really shows which is which is great for me so um how did you sort of feel after you'd finished up your first game as it were because by that point you've you've had your first sort of taste of you know rolling dice in ninth edition you've had your first taste of a crucible of war mission although admittedly you probably didn't have much to compare it against um and it's the first time then that you know you've you've, you've played a you know a number of rounds on those tables and it's it's sort of starting to sink in what the rest of your day is going to be like how how are you sort of feeling at that point yeah so um <laughs> james was kind enough to play through his lunch with me um so we literally went straight from the first game talked it through to the end and then walked over and started the second game. So um, I didn't really have much time to kind of uh, reminisce and reflect on it. But um, looking back at it now, um, it was awesome. It was, it's that um, thing kind of you only get with playing a game like this. It's quite a cerebral game, but you're also physically standing for quite a long time compared to you know, most other, yeah. um, you know, it's a tabletop game. So it's both mentally and physically demanding. And I suspect, especially mentally demanding for someone who, for, for whom it's all new, um, or at least, you know, relearning all this stuff again. So yeah, it was, um, it was good. It was good. It's, it's repetitions. And so at that point it had done even once. And so, you know, I moved on to the second table and I felt good about the fact that I going in I didn't expect to win anything but it was about the rolling of the dice you know as soon as you can roll dice and move things around and see enemies on the table opposite you then that was that was the best I could hope for and the, it looked all very cinematic cinematic beautiful models beautiful board you know and that's all I could really hope for well Speaking of uh, cinematic, then your second game was against our own Adam Boise and his Gene Stealer cult. Absolutely. But specifically, um, not only is that again a gorgeous looking army, but you played one of probably the most cinematic, you know, games of the day, which was the um, the demise of a legend, so the Warlord Duel mission. Absolutely. Um, how did you how did you find that? Um... So it was really interesting hearing him speak about it because I got the benefit of uh, the opposite uh, situation. So from my perspective, I was like, right, I'm going to lose this duel. I'm going to lose this mission um, based on the way that my warlord was built. Um, it just wasn't going to happen for me. Uh, I've never played the Gene Stealer cult before, but you know, a Tyranid that's, or a Tyranid-like model that is larger than a Space Marine captain will be, be better in combat than a Space Marine captain. Um, and in my mind, anyway, at the time, I made that assumption. So what that meant was, I assumed that I would win the table and he would win the duel. Um, yeah. And so I was pretty confident that I would lose the mission because of the points being scored was about the duel. 
but I would be able to dominate a little bit more around the table. And that made me feel a little bit safer. Um, again, I, I going into it, I knew I was going to lose. So I felt perfectly happy to do, do my best to wreck his models around the table, which was <laughs> going fairly well, fairly well. Um, so, I mean, it was, it was, it was hilarious because we were talking about it beforehand and he's like, right. So we put our warlords in the middle. Okay. Um, right. But there's a, it's like a tall cylinder in which we can't see through this and they can't see out. And that means we can't shoot through. And that meant that none of our vehicles could go very far because <laughs> they were too <laughs> wide. Um, yeah, it's, uh, this was on these like uh, Sanctus city board. So mm. um, essentially lots of like tall, you know, um, statuesque sort of, you know, buildings and things. Um, but there was this dueling area in the center of like the main street where, like you say, the warlords are, are dueling and the idea is that no one is interfering. Yeah. Which means basically you're not barging past or, you know, firing gunfire, you know, across this space where they're busy duking it out. So yeah, you were sort of like essentially circling around the fight, weren't you? You know, to try and engage where you could. And it's funny how obviously um, you mentioned that the scoring is based on the duel. It's more that um, like so you had your usual well, there were four objective markers and you scored you know by holding the objective markers like you would do in a lot of ninth edition games. Yeah. But the winning of the duel was worth in itself twenty victory points. Which is certainly an influential amount, but by no means, you know, like <laughs> golden snitch qualities, <laughs> where you know by necessarily winning the duel you win the game. It wasn't necessarily going to be that cut or you know uh, cut or dry about it. You know, it could you could win the duel and lose the game, or vice versa. Yeah, um, which I I would agree with, but not for me. Um... James and I, in the first game, we finished two rounds of the game. Um, so Adam and I finished, I think, three. So we were never going to get to the end. So I knew going in that the, points-wise, was kind of that was it. worth a bit more in yeah. itself, yeah. Um, and that's, again, this is... I went in knowing full well... You know, I made assumptions going into the tournament that I would not do very well and that was fine it wasn't you know i didn't have a problem with it um i just changed my expectations and that was brilliant yeah i mean obviously the other whole point of this was that at the end of the day it didn't really matter if you did or didn't do well because again there was nothing riding on it you know no. other than other than your own personal um sort of like self-esteem i suppose you know <laughs> tied to any uh, need to win your games uh, but there was there was actually no rankings, you know, for players. There was no awards based on win losses of games. Exactly. Had plenty of awards, um, but like the emphasis was, like you were saying, just going into it to have a good time. So whatever your own expectations were about that, it's absolutely fine if you're able to achieve your own goals and you know get what you want out of the experience. Absolutely, and I mean that was part of the fun of it from my perspective. Um, these were not my models and because I hadn't, I was given the option of a number of models and squads and built my army based on, right, I, this is a late decision, I need to get to 80 power level 
um, it was based on numbers rather than uh, and pretty models. So I took the models I thought were pretty and and then um, you know went to, went to a, a game, I um, <laughs> packed them in the boxes and went. So it was never about being a competitive army, but it was about putting putting models on the table that I thought looked good and then playing against other people who had put beautiful models down on the table around this beautiful scenery. And, you know, from my perspective, leaving with um, some funny kind of situations that occurred was, you know, and good stories is really all that mattered. And uh, did, did your second game then against Adam definitely, you know, tick that box? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have... I had never heard of the Gene Steeler Cults, um, until, except for, oh, what was it, that, that 90s um, book from way back when with Jack Drago, Inquisitor, and uh, uh, Inquisition Wars, possibly, I think. Um, that was a long time ago. So we've sort of got to the point in the day now where you've finished your second game, and um, you were we for a good bit of the day for a good bit of the way through the day now you sort of obviously you've experienced the majority of what is going to be your games now and um what were you sort of hoping and expecting to get in the game three i suppose yeah um well the benefit i had actually going from my second game to my third game is the tables were directly next to each other so <laughs> all i needed oh, yeah, to do was move my models 30 centimeters or so and I was on the right table which was awesome um, because my first game and my second game both ran right up until my third game you know they, they each ran up into each other so that meant that you know I benefited from that I suppose um, so by the time I got to my third game I was like right okay my I went into it with a, a game plan of to make my turns as quickly as possible. <laughs> and yeah. so, you know, having gone through the first game, not finished it, the second game, not finished it, I was like, right, I know I'm not going to finish the third game, but at least if I do, do it to the best of my ability in terms of speed, I won't win, but I will at least feel like I'm not slowing my opponent down too much. Yeah. And that felt quite good for me. I think, well, it felt like it would be good for me to try at least. So how did the, I suppose, the mission that you played lead into that plan? Did it seem like it was something that was going to be straightforward enough to get through your turns, or was it a more complicated one? So I thought it was quite a straightforward one. Um, I think you've had Darren on before, who um, it was against with his beautiful orcs. Um, yes. So and... Uh, Connecting the dots with our previous interviewees, as it were, this was um, Darren's third game, and this was the uh, Battle for Bad Squeak. So it was the moving line of uh, scrimmage of objective markers in the centre of the table, with the lava flow coming in from one edge of the table. So you were playing against Darren's Bad Moon Orcs, um, and um, this was his first game against your Blood Angels. Well, Angels in, um, in general, and uh, yeah, so we've heard Darren's side of this particular story. So, uh, how did it how did it go for you? Yeah, it was really good. I mean, 
the fun thing about playing against him was I knew he knew his orcs really well, um, and which is something that um, he has been to tournaments and it shows. As someone who's not been to a tournament in any kind of competition since about 2001, it, it shows what the modern tournament player is now. Where yeah, the uh, the experience and the knowledge gleaned from it has changed somewhat in twenty years. Absolutely, which which was really great as an opponent because he would he would say right at the start he's like right let me just tell you a bit about my army, which was lovely and I mean my favourite part was just kind of looking at it I thought it was very pretty um, especially with all those different um, conversions you've done, but my favorite part of the whole process is don't even worry about it you don't have to tell me i don't need to know i won't remember i'm just <laughs> here for kind of the experience the kind of the, the holistic experience so if something happens i don't feel like it's a, a gotcha moment or a bad feels moment because i'm like oh i didn't know it could do that i'll remember for next time um so it didn't come up in the game but it was that kind of thing of that's cool don't worry about it uh, let's play the game, and I'm con- I'm concentrating on me more than I'm concentrating on kind of the uh, the nitty gritty of tactics to try and kind of win I mean, the game. The advantage there is that obviously that lets Darren kind of lead into that as well if he wants. You know, <laughs> again, without there being any actual meaning to you know rankings or match results, there's no incentive for Darren to take this as an opportunity to try and get max points out of you or anything like that you know <laughs> also like you know um you know curb stomp you in order to um you know get a good match result even if he did it in a friendly manner you know there's instead if he wants he could just lean into the same mentality of you know let's just do some fun stuff let's just have a good time and uh, maybe try and create some you know cinematic moments almost like the reverse of gotchas kind of like i'm going to try and make this unusual thing happen because it will look cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that meant that, I, I think he mentioned it actually, was my deployment was, I'm going to think about this in terms of if those score counters are going away, I will put my army where the score counters are not going to go away by the time the mission ends. And therefore, um, I don't know if you remember the third edition Space Marine Codex, um, but in the third edition Space Marine Codex, there is a little set of pages which talk about a few random kind of tactics and strategies to use. And one of them is the refused flank, which is a famous military maneuver. And I was like, cool, that's it. This is my flank. Ignore the beautiful lava coming in and ruining my models. I will just use this and start here and play the game from here um, just to see kind of how it goes. Um, and. Yeah, it was fun. Um, I, I, mean, I didn't I, win. I do remember. I gotta say, I do remember that um, Darren's like response to this scenario as well was that he did kind of the opposite to that, where he lined up in front of the lava line with all these like speed wire bikes and everything, and basically yeah, he did. Game he was and they looked great. To, yeah, outrun the lava as it was chasing him down the field towards you. Yeah, and so his um, his war bikes ran over the short speed bump of my outriders and then <laughs> charged into my um predator tank which which was good um 
he didn't he didn't um, go into the final the final play of our game, which was um, where his I think was it Gorkonor or a Morkonor? I don't know what the I think difference it was the is. He had, yeah. His Gorkonor um, exploded and killed a number of different units, and I think an extra vehicle as well in the uh, in the explosion in kind of the last play of the match. So that was uh, that was good value. Um, yeah, great. So, would you say that you know by this point? you have had three very different games but all of which were three very enjoyable and cinematic games for many different reasons oh yeah definitely i mean the first game was more of an open plains kind of game the second game was more of an urban fight and the third game was you know a, a, a volcano a volcanic world so yeah it was great plus against three completely different opponents three completely different armies and so you can't really ask much more than that you know three completely different experiences uh, and they were all good so i had absolutely no complaints <laughs> excellent i like say that's it's pretty much been you know my whole goal with this so giving you those three you know great games of the day is uh, all i could you know wish for really so i'm, I'm glad that that's uh, come to fruition <laughs> and um yeah so moving on then from sort of the, you know, the games of the day um, it's getting towards the, the end of the day now, things are wrapping up last couple of games are playing out I think <laughs> I think the last table to finish their game, it was coming they were on turn 5 um, I think, 4 or 5 one or the other, but basically it was coming down to last dice rolls to determine who was going to have control of this key objective at the end of the turn and that was going to swing the victory either way, so the final round of the day was wrapped up with you know that classic thing of lots of bystanders gather around the one last table watching the uh, <laughs> the final climactic battle take place and that was a, a great way to sort of lead into then our little award ceremony at the end of the day and uh, sort of wrap up uh, for the whole event um what was your sort of general take on the you know the wrap up and the accolades and everything yeah it was great i mean I think the funny thing about it for me was that was the first moment I'd had in the entire day where I wasn't rushing to something else. <laughs> so whether yeah. it be in the game or rushing to the next game or um, I think Adam in the middle of our second game, I was like, I haven't eaten yet. You do your turn, you do your move and I'll go and get some food and come back. And I, you know, And so that was the final thing after the game. You know, we'd finished the last game, but right, I I thought it was great. It was one of those things like, oh my goodness, now I can actually look around <laughs> and see these people because, you know, I think each of your opponent, uh, the people you've, you've brought on before to talk about it, they at least had moments between their games where they could look around at other people, their tables, their, you know, their, their models and, you know, have a chat. I didn't manage to do that. And so it was that kind of moment of, Oh, take a breath and have a look <laughs> and you know hear about hear about the stories that had happened and the number of poor imperial guard casualties and all these kind of things that had happened um, I hadn't actually seen so no it was really good and it was lovely to see kind of the different ways in which people won without being kind of the, um, 
the best general or whatever it might have been. You know, that was that was nice to see too. Yeah, um, I think one of our uh, other orc players of the day was uh, really surprised and pleased with his exterminatus award for uh, you know be, being the only person that day who was successfully firing the doomsday device from the doomsday device uh, mission, um, and you know that in itself was something that I'd like allocated a little certificate award to and a little prize for if you know x many people managed to achieve it so um i don't think he was expecting to get a uh, like a standout award for that and he was really pleased and excited when um, that happened so that was a lovely moment yeah i think it's nice to i mean from my perspective i didn't know what awards might even have been occurring and i don't think anyone else did either and so it's that nice feeling of yeah. hey look that's a cool award or Oh, you know, I, you know, I didn't win it, but if someone who does win it, they're like, "Oh, that's great! I like that." Um, so yeah, it did seem pretty cool. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, why not? Isn't it's a lot nicer to have that than simply this person has the most points and therefore wins a prize. <laughs> yeah, um, I've I've already you know had some ideas for one or two extra ones that I might you know throw in next time. Um, some of them can be tied to certain scenarios and missions. Some might be, you know, relevant to um, sort of like just attendance at the event and you know, think things in the veins of like you know best painted armies, best sportsman, blah blah blah. You know, some other style awards like that because it's it's a it's been an interesting balance for me to sort of um, put together where I want enough transparency for people to know that there are going to be you know awards and prizes and stuff but i also don't want people to be necessarily overly gunning for certain ones you know uh, if it's going to try if it's going to skew people's experiences in the games so keeping some of them sort of like almost like surprise awards or like uh, achievements you know sort of style uh, accolades then um, i think that's a good way to uh, spread some some prizes and uh, good feels for people <laughs> I, I certainly loved the the vibe in the room at the end of the day, you know, when everyone sort of gathered around and we were really just basically patting everybody on the back, you know, for well done guys, we did it. You know, the the first narrative wargamer event has been a success. And everyone here seems like they've definitely enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know, I don't think we kind of um, we talk about it often enough. Um, although you might do on your podcast based on its title <laughs> but the idea that everything we do is a collaborative storytelling experience and therefore we benefit from each other and we, you know we kind of build it on those kind of building blocks constantly and without each other we kind of it all falls apart and so as a whole if you can get an entire room of people just there to tell a cool story with pretty models and make it fun you know that makes the whole day far better yeah it's funny how um i i've spoken to a few people now about the sort of analogy of being a game master you know within the 40k setting and it's funny how the approach that i've put together for crucible of war has been less game mastery because i'm not stood there for the entire time as a third person at everybody's individual games 
I'm not coming in and throwing dice myself or adding units to the table or, you know, other things that are throwing a spanner in the works. Instead, with the whole bespoke pairings and missions and sort of, you know, hidden awards and stuff and being able to create the journeys for the individuals at this event day, I've actually felt a little bit more like not so much a game master, but more a quest giver. <laughs> it's more like everyone's been playing their own little like side quest stories, you know. Um, in, in like in your case, you know, mission one, you, you're holding out in this facility as you know energy arcing around all over the place, and the tyranids are attacking. Go deal with that. Mission two, this time your cha you know, your champion has been caught in a duel with this monstrous alien. You know, while the rest of your forces try to hold back the collapsing city invasion, go deal with that, and and so on and so on. Kind of like everybody is being given their own little narrative task or quest to achieve each round, and that's what tells their story, as opposed to me being the nefarious game master or dungeon master type who's interfering with everything they're doing all the time. And uh, I, I think it's been a really um, a really interesting experience and seemingly a successful exercise so you know we're going to be doing it again and uh, I'm looking forward to doing it all again yeah absolutely um, and yeah I, I, I completely agree and I think while it could have been interesting to see you know you capriciously walk around the tables and drop this is you know drop a Titan on one table, or a Primarch or on another table, or some other way of kind of influencing the game. And in that moment, it's it's a lot easier for the players to kind of orient themselves based on a, a piece mm. of paper with the rules, um, and not have to kind of worry about um, the capricious games master um, prowling the tables. So yeah, I suppose. Uh, last things and really are sort of like final thoughts. Um, can you recall at all sort of like how you felt like immediately after the event? You know, like either on the journey home or you know talking to friends the next day or two. You know, like what was your your short term lasting impressions of the day after the fact? Yeah, I think um, kind of the biggest one was motivation. The idea of I've seen you know these beautiful armies, beautiful models. I borrowed the army that I had. And so it was that kind of thing of, well, now I've played with someone else's, it would be so much better if I could take my own, build my own, paint my own, bring my own, um, and build it to my own ability um, and whichever models I wanted to bring myself um, rather than kind of short notice you know being generously lent them by someone else and just kind of throwing the points together just so it made sense um so that was the big thing and so that kind of motivation um the other thing of course you know as i mentioned before the idea of motivation in terms of well if i learned the rules of my army before i arrived at the table then i could make better decisions that would be a lot quicker um in the moment um and read the rule book as well in ninth a lot better than again it'd be a lot quicker um and to play more games as well because then again that would be a wonderful virtuous cycle um 
So that, those are kind of the biggest takeaways. And of course, just to kind of, it's that kind of that narrative play, which I enjoy a lot more than I do um, kind of secondaries and stuff. I find them very artificial. Um, they weren't around back in the day when I last played, so it was a lot more like win-lose. Um, but at least the idea of, hey, let's try this crusade set of rules, which um, Darren talked about before. I've never played that, but I did play first-generation Kill Team back in the day, and I feel like that, you know, idea is quite similar. So the the whole sort of thing from the games is just and the tournament was just motivation really motivation to kind of get on with hobbying and um, get on with building my stupidly pretentious army project and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> well, excellent! Like I'm glad that it, it has you know given you that motivation and that drive to uh, to really sort of dive in because I think your case. And your experience in particular is really telling since this has kind of been your re-entry to the game you know in its modern form even if it is like you know my personal concoction of narrative play in you know its current form and it's great to hear that that is not off-putting you know that it has been really engaging for you and validating for me to hear that so yeah i think it's been great to hear that you had a great time with it, even though you were very new to the game of 9th edition 40k. And uh, yeah, it's, it's inspired you to go out and uh, get involved more with Arby and not be put off at all. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, you can only really come from a situation, situation like that and kind of feel like you want to do it more, right? So. Um, I, I mean, we've talked about this previously. I have not bought myself a ticket for the next tournament solely because my partner is having twins right beforehand, and there is no way I'll be able to drive away and uh, for the whole day and uh, play with toy soldiers while that's going on. Um, yeah. But I, I think another side. Yeah, because yeah, I, I think having two new mini humans to take care of is uh, an entirely valid reason to uh, pass it over on this time. Yeah, well, you know, oh, what a shame. Such a disappointment. <laughs> Never mind. I'm sure it'll be a far better time and greater experience that you'll get out of being a, a father to two new, two new little ones. I can attest to that myself. It is, it is definitely an experience, but definitely a very rewarding, a very rewarding one. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, for those of you listening though who uh, are not going to be dealing with the immediate arrivals of their own uh, new lawns, then uh, yes, the Crucible of War Two will be taking place later this year on October fifteenth, and tickets are available now from Tabletop. So there are links for both the tickets and the event pack in the description of this uh, episode below. So if you are interested in attending the Crucible of War and uh, you would like to have your own experiences of some of these you know, rather unique narrative missions and scenarios and uh, just have a great time playing three awesome games of 40k with uh, three awesome people, then yeah, get involved. Go buy a ticket now while they're uh, still available. 
and uh, we'll see you there at, uh, on the day. So, um, yeah, um, yeah. So, uh, so thank you once again, David, for coming and sharing your tales from the Crucible with us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tony. It was great. Um, it was great talking to you. So, uh, thanks for that, and we will return now to the rest of our show for tonight. Are you enjoying the Narrative Wargamer podcast? If you are, why not check out our community Facebook group at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook. We share our latest hobby projects and narrative battles and aim to grow a community for casual and narrative 40k players. We're always excited to see the awesome things our listeners are working on and it is a great place to hang out with other like-minded hobbyists. You can also find us on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer and over on Twitter at Narrative40k for regular hobby updates on our 40k projects. Death to the false emperor! Glory to the dark gods! Kill him! Death to the false emperor! Chaos Space Marines on Crusade. And we're back, guys. So I hope you all enjoyed that latest Tales from the Crucibles with David. And um, yeah, it was great getting to chat with him about it and hear about his experience, especially, as I say, with him being, you know, a returning newcomer (laughs) uh, to the 9th edition 40k and... uh, I think he had a great time with it and I'm looking forward to um, seeing, unfortunately not David at the next uh, Crucible, as he mentioned, he's, uh, he's going to be having uh, some new little kiddies on to take care of uh, come October, so he's going to have to give the next one a miss, but hopefully we'll see him there again in the future and uh, some of maybe you listening now will decide to go pick up a ticket and get involved. So look forward to meeting everyone there come October. However, for tonight now, we can move on to our latest spotlight topic, and it is going to be the return of the On Crusade section. So uh, tonight, Elliot is going to lead this with us, and he's going to take us through the various and many ve- uh, the various and many different elements of this uh, Chaos Space Marines On Crusade, because I've, I'm right in thinking, Elliot, there's a lot here, isn't there? The, the, there is a lot here. There's 18 pages. <laughs> Which is uh, almost more than probably some like old edition codexes were. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so give us the, the sort of top level concepts then. What is the the Chaos Space Marines on Crusade all about? Like, What's their uh, gimmick, as it were, within Crusade? Yeah, cool. So, I've I've played quite a few different Crusade games with a with a few different armies, um, and this one feels really nice. I haven't actually played uh, with this one, but it's basically broken down into each your Crusade list. Once you hit twenty power level, you can make a Chaos Warband, and that Chaos Warband is led by your Warband Champion. And the whole idea of this is that 
your Chaos Warband sort of grows in size as you gain different types of glory. And so that the main faction mechanic is gaining glory. And it's it's quite fun. Um, it's I don't again, I don't know how this plays, but effectively you can choose where to gain glory as you play and as your warband grows, you can kind of pick which element of um, you know, being a Chaos Warband you want to push your uh, rewards into. So these are split up into Personal Glory, uh, Dark God Glory, and Warfleet Glory, which kind of represent, um, you know, the Warband Champion's own personal glory, obviously. And Or you can choose to worship and serve the Dark Gods more and hope that they give you some more blessings. Um, or you can invest in your war fleet where that kind of you draw more people to you know you draw more of these you know ragtag chaos bands together and you, you you attract more people to your war fleet so it's it's a really nice idea and it's probably one of one of the most fluffy sort of um crusade concepts i think that i've pl i've seen so i mean it sounds like there's actually quite a bit of you know management involved in this as opposed to just development which is often the case with you know some of these other crusade forces you've seen you know in the case of orcs you know my the big boss gets bigger you know the pile of scrap builds up but for this if you're actually you know managing resources between personal glory um dedication to the gods and the actual growth of your war fleet then that's starting to sound um Almost, uh, well, what, what's the phrase? Um, basically, like you know, game management <laughs> systems. Yeah. Um, who, who would have thought that a part of the eightfold path involved so much administrative <laughs> <laughs> role? <laughs> yeah, I love that. I, do you know what? I'd not even really thought of that, but you're absolutely right. You have you're basically become a a, a middle middle management effectively. Yeah, you're 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 warband champion has a lot of admin and and crusade as i don't you know as you know has a bit of admin post game anyway um uh, this is going to it is going to be more even more you're going to have to level up your spreadsheet i think um as yeah, as I is mean, your as is your champion i think <laughs> yeah i think it's fair to say that at this point games workshop has kind of double downed on the idea that if someone is invested in playing crusade they're not going to be averted to admin you know like post-game pre-game stuff so i mean i know personally i love it i i can't get enough of the you know, this sort of stuff and i think most people who are playing crusade are probably going to be in that similar mindset not necessarily everyone and i imagine you could probably pick and choose bits of it um as i'm I mean, I'd be tempted to suggest that perhaps you could concentrate on just a single aspect of these paths, you know, personal glory, dark god glory, or warfleet glory. But unfortunately, I don't believe it's that simple, is it? Um, yeah, not not quite. They're they're all kind of, well, they're not interlinked. But the more you invest in one, the less you points you have to invest in the others. And the really interesting mechanic, and I, I'm with you, I, I'm a big admin guy, I mean, it's my job, so I, I love a good <laughs> spreadsheet, um, is that as you, if you want to, you start, you start, basically there's a glory tracker for each one of these three glories, you know, your personal, your dark god, your war fleet, 
and that is a scale from one to eight. And you, when you start your warband, you start on number four, right? But <laughs> if you can push up your glory, and I'll tell you how that works in a minute, but if you can push your glory up to seven or eight, you can get a favored reward from in that specific glory. So it, it, it is a, it's already a lot. That's already a, a bit of admin because you, you have to keep track of where you are on this tracker. The other thing that's worth bearing in mind is that after every game, you lose one level of glory in each of the, the categories of glory, right? So if you choose to never invest in Warfeed glory and you're only investing in personal glory, then after two games, you're going to be in the Forsaken Punishments, which is like bad stuff happens to you. <laughs> and this bad stuff is its still random, but it, it can be pretty bad. Um, now, the way that you gain, and I'll just quickly explain, um, the way that you gain glory is by spending chaos points, and you can sort of, you get this after each game. So if you win a game, you get D3 plus three chaos points. If you draw a game, you get three chaos points. If you lose a game, you only get D3 chaos points. So there is a there's an actual genuine risk that if you keep losing your games, you could end up in the punishment area for all of your <laughs> glories, in theory, because you're losing at least one glory point in each tracker, in you know, in each um, glory area. So you could genuinely end up in a position where you're forsaken in all areas if you if you're just really rubbish. <laughs> That's that's awesome because to be honest, that is probably like the most chaosy thing that it could be. Like you're constantly not only striving to sort of prove, you know, yourself to the gods, but you're also you're now committed to this path of damnation. And if you don't like if you don't excel on it, then you're going to do bad. <laughs> like <laughs> only you know. It's called. It's a path of damnation for a reason. Like unless you manage to prove yourself to be one of the chosen few, then you're instead going to join the masses of the lost and the damned. Who over time, you know, their their bargain with the devil, as it were, and with the chaos gods, has gone south. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, mutinies from you know other upcoming uh, champions constantly try to stab you in the back losing the favor of your gods um being betrayed by you know your your comrades in arms as it were or even just failing to survive against the imperium as it's constantly trying to snuff you out you know all these things are things that chaos fleets have to contend with and uh, yeah it's interesting to see that this is a this is a set of crusade rules where you're not just trying to strive to improve over time. You're genuinely striving to survive as you go. And you, you could, in theory, lose at Crusade. You could get to the point where your order of battle is going to be that um, forsaken, if you've not been doing well enough, that you might consider scrapping the whole thing and starting <laughs> over. Because, unfortunately, that particular fleet and that particular warband has fallen to damnation and spawned them and you know just disbanded 
Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 awesome, and and I like the idea that, like you said, in theory, you you could you could get to the point in your crusade where you're like, you know what, I've pushed too hard on this type of glory, and I'm really suffering in my others, and this is now, like you said, a forsaken band of band of guys. I'm just going to start afresh, and that feels like you know it feels chaosy as well to kind of abandon your own guys. Um, it's it's really it's it's really cool um I, again i don't know how it'll actually play and there are other ways to gain these chaos points um there are some agendas that we'll talk about in a minute that can get you some yeah. um so but... just before like I say, just before we jump onto the agendas then i do think like this is already in my mind this is sparking like brilliant ideas for having a small player campaign you know like say three or possibly ideally four uh players we're all playing as chaos forces and you're playing that chaos conflict and if all four of you are running a campaign where you're using chaos crusade rules every single game someone's going to be losing someone's going to be like getting further down their glory points and actually you could end up in a position where all four of you are genuinely not only fighting for survival but also perhaps <laughs> in, the, in the nicest way you're pouncing on the weakest member <laughs> And it becomes survival of the fittest. And maybe after every month, the, uh, whoever's got the least total glory gets cut out. Do you know what I mean? And you end up with an actual victorious chaos champion at the end of like a, a four-month mini-campaign. Yeah, it does yeah. sound quite cool. God, darn you. I was just going to say as well as like maybe even like having that we'd be saying like four so it's like each one trying to prove to a different god as well could be quite cool yeah. that. so they're all fighting over have, whose god's the best you could always have a fifth uh, player uh, acting as the um, disciples of Belicar now as well oh yeah with the yeah absolutely with your with your new um, chaos demon decks or we'll see what we get in that I guess won't we but <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's got so many like deep implications as a system. I, I love the fact that it has pros and cons, like like quite heavy strengths and negatives. You know that you're going to have to deal with. Um, so you were mentioning um, Elliot about agendas and other ways of gaining these chaos points, which then get converted into these glory points. Um, can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So I'll touch on those agendas. And then um, what I'll do is I'll tell you what some of the good and bad things that you can actually that can happen to you are because they're, they're pretty nasty. But let's go through these agendas because the, there are actually I think all of these agendas are really nice. And what you have to bear in mind, we've got four agendas here for all chaos factions, and then every single um, chaos legion, whatever they're, they're not called legions, but you know, every every different chaos faction within the book has its own agenda as well. And we'll touch on that a little bit later, but for now, these four agendas are Eye of the Gods. So this is basically keeping a tally for each character that in your army that kills a character, a monster, or vehicle, and you get um, two on your tally if it's a Warlord or a model with 11 plus wounds. That, that model gets two XP per tally plus one personal glory level for each tally on your champions up to three so you can actually get three personal glory on your champions tally if it kills if your champion kills enemy warlord or you know uh, a tank or you know big monster whatever it's it's quite a good way to get you know invest some get some points into your uh, personal glory and 
if you if you're feeling low or you really want to push it up you know um and you want to spend your points at the your end game points in another area it's it's quite a good uh good agenda to take it's worth bearing in mind obviously you can only take one of these alongside one from the book but you know if you if you know that you're low on that i think that's really cool so um is that up to three points on your one to eight scale of the actual personal glory points yeah yeah so you can get three yeah it's it's, it's quite strong yeah yeah I can see that playing well as a like redemption arc agenda. Like you say, if the personal glory track has been lacking recently, then maybe you commit to like that's like a chaos champion declaring that they are they're calling their shot, like they're declaring they're gonna go do something awesome in the name of the gods. And if they then pull it off, they've got noticed for it and they've actually, you know, redeemed themselves in the eyes of the gods. Yeah, I like that a lot. And, um, and then what, what do we have next? So um, we've got another one, um, which is called Claim and the Spoil, which is basically for, um, you give your opponent three objective, extra objective markers, which become warband prizes. And your opponent, your opponent chooses where to put them. As long as it's not in their deployment zone, they can put them anywhere. Um, infantry and biker units can try and claim this prize at the end of their movement phase. And it is this action is completed at the start of the next command phase. Each unit that claims a prize and survives a battle gets 3 XP, but also if they can get back to your deployment zone at the end of the game, you get one Warfleet glory on top. So if you can do this sort of towards the end of the game, um, you know, in the last couple of turns, you know, take that action and then grab the thing and because it finishes at the start of your command phase and then, <laughs> you know, hike it back to your uh, to your deployment zone and stay alive, it's, it, you, can, you can get a, quite a nice tasty bit of uh, Warfleet glory too, so I yeah I th I think this is um, a risky one, but it, it feels quite fun. I like that though because again, depending on you know the mission you're playing, that feels like something that your troop units can be doing. Like we we're talking about earlier tonight when I was playing against these Cornite Legionnaires who effectively didn't do anything other than be a deterrent and score victory points. This would be the perfect thing for them, you know, run up murder anybody who's holding those objectives and snarl viciously while they loot the thing <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> head back to the the ship with you know with all these valuable resources whilst the rest of your army is busy playing the mission for that game but if that particular unit of legionnaires finds itself just milling around you know scoring a couple of victory points well maybe they could spend some time you know advancing your middle management career <laughs> Yeah, I like that. Um, we've got another another one that affects your glory, uh, the, the, the final glory, which is uh, the Dark God glory, and this is called a Blasphemous Ritual, and this can be done by uh, an infantry unit. Um, but it is uh, an action that they have to take in the centre of the battlefield, uh, wholly within six inches of the centre. And they basically, after they complete this uh, action... They, you have to roll 2d6 and you get an extra plus one if you have a mark and an extra plus one if you have an icon. So, you know, if you're really showing off to the gods. On an 8+, plus, it's completed. So if you've got that extra one for the mark and the icon, it's basically a 50-50, isn't it? Um, and for each unit that completes that, 
they get 3 XP. So they don't have to survive, so they get the 3 XP. And also you get one Dark God, Dark God Glory per completed ritual. So again, that caps out at 3 for the Dark God Glory. But it's still a really good way if you're like, you know, oh, we really... We're, we're out of favor with the gods. Uh, let's start sacrificing stuff. Um, yeah, I think I think this is quite a cool, quite a cool one too. Yeah. Ah, no, Colin's not very happy with us. What should we do? Well, we all know Colin loves a good sacrifice. He doesn't really care where it comes from. So. Yeah, absolutely. I guess the the risk with this one is it's in the center of the battlefield. So depending on how you set the board up, it might be a, you know, might be in no man's land, in the middle of no man's land with no cover or whatever. So you know, maybe completing the action feels a bit more risky. But it's I like that. I mean, that's fluffy, isn't it? Like you're going to do a horrible ritual in the middle and you're throwing yourself in there. It's 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 quite good. Well, that's where you get clever with your like objective placements if you're playing things like Tempest of War or some of the uh, crusade missions that allow you to place you know player place objectives and you place them somewhere nowhere near the middle so that the <laughs> opponent has no real incentive to go there and stop your profane ritual honest <laughs> um go on Oh yeah, sorry. I was just going to say one thing. I would say about this is that there's no cap on how many units can do this and gain the XP. Obviously, a unit can't do it more than once. But in terms of XP, I think this could be a bit. They maybe should have put the cap on the number of units that can try this because, you know, if I could effectively send every infantry unit in my army to go and do this at some point and get three XP. Obviously, I don't get Dark God glory, but getting three XP on a unit in some of the other codexes is really hard so i think that that might be a bit strong um but i, I don't know um that might just be my own <laughs> uh, when i'm playing my blood angels sometimes getting 3xp 3xp feels really hard so yeah but obviously the payoff is uh, the fact that you're having to commit to doing actions and therefore not really doing much else for the turn and uh, very true big chunks of your force to actions is gonna perhaps be a, a short-term sacrifice for this long-term game so there's <laughs> definitely pros and cons there very true um and then finally we have one last agenda which is the wanton hate agenda so how, do, how does that work yeah so this is um basically when you're in one of your uh like doctrines you know the chaos doctrines which is um uh, let the galaxy burn one of the parts of that um as long as a unit has let the galaxy burn it can be any astartes unit and you keep a tally for for each one and when it kills a unit in the right phase you know when it kills with heavy or grenade or rapid fire in the destruction phase or you know with the melee or pistol or assault in the slaughter in the wanton slaughter phase um you you get a tally and then at the end you just get a number of xp per tally point which is quite cool now when i was thinking about this i was thinking about chosen because obviously if they kill a unit they act as if they're in all phases. So you, you could, obviously, this is only up to a maximum of 3 XP, but you could get to a position where you're chosen, get their 3 XP quite quickly, because um, they can just be in all phases at all times if they kill one unit. Well, I mean, that is why they are the chosen. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's good. So 
like you say, killing things in the correct and hateful ways at the right times nets XP for those various units, which that sounds like a good like army-wide way of uh, netting some XP across lots of units. Did you say that was only if it's against like Space Marines on that one, Elliot? Is it? Or... No, no, that's just oh, against anything. Yeah, oh, okay. so. And, it, and it's for any Traitorous Astartes unit. So, it, it, like you said, it covers your whole army. So, you want to be pushing to try and kill stuff in the right phase as well because you get those exploding sixes. But, you know, you might you might set yourself up a bit nicely to, to weaken some stuff for, for your later phases for your combat units or something. So, it's quite cool. Cool. So, we now know how we earn our various glory points. And we know that we get... Uh, Big rewards for getting those ranks up high and particularly devastating punishments for letting them slip down too low. Can you give us some examples of these particular boons and uh, dishonours that you could gain on? Absolutely. So really, really nicely, um, these different types of glory, so personal, dark card and warfly, um, give you... Uh, benefits in those areas so if you're in favor in personal glory you can um, after each battle you can pick a requisition to use one of these to use for zero requisition points so that's warlord trait relic psychic meditations and ascension to demonhood which we'll talk about what that means later <laughs> um, so you get to basically get a, a free requisition and it's the same for the other two um, that is the first part so there's kind of two parts to each of these um, rewards um, we'll flip over just as punishments for a moment because the punishment effectively is the opposite so it each of those ones for that area costs an extra requisition point so it's kind of like the first part is just either benefiting you or punishing you um, for using you know, if if you're if you've really dropped in your warfruit glory, it's going to cost you more to increase your supply increase your supply limit. If you're really up on your um, on your personal glory, you know you can you can pick up those relics from the uh, from the ship uh, because you know you're you're a, a glorious leader. <laughs> um, but well, there's so there's a second. Sorry, I guess it's, in most cases, it's a uh, a increased cost or a discount on various requisitions for this first stage anyway absolutely so that's stage one which is just it's kind of okay but it's it it's not going to affect you all the time um and actually you know requisition points depending on how you play you can you can do okay with them depending on what missions you play i tend to have a few requisition points in the pocket most of the time until i get later on into crusade anyway um <laughs> but the second part's the interesting bit so uh, for example personal glory favored reward is um, your war after each battle at the updated crusades card step uh, if your warband champion destroyed one or more enemy units roll a d6 on a 6 you can pick a battle honor of your choice for f on top of what if they level up just you can just pick a battle honor and increase your leadership by one up to a maximum of 10 and you can get up to three battle honors via this via this way so and it th also these don't count towards the maximum number of battle honors that you're your warband leader can have <laughs> so i love this it's just like getting more and more and more powerful um obviously it's only on a six so it is still random but obviously when you get those sixes it's really really nice yeah that sounds cool so like you say just really piling on the the boons and the gifts yeah, absolutely absolutely and, and it's the same sort of thing for the other two you know it 
you can kind of give chaos boons, which we'll talk about what they are in a minute. You can give chaos boons to um, just normal units, like non non character units. You can, uh, but only to, to that to that unit champion. Um, and you know you can you can upgrade. Uh, you can give a battle trait to a unit for the for the Warfleet glory. Now, what that does mean though is that there's in the punishments. It's basically the opposite but pretty horrible mm -hmm. so it's the same thing you roll a one and it's just this it doesn't have to have done anything if you roll a one um you are right for example the personal glory one <laughs> um you select another traitor society's characters from on your order of battle sheet this is called circling rivals and you roll a 2d6 and if the result is less than that of your warband champion's leadership characteristic its leadership characteristic is reduced by one and the rival unit gains a battle scar. So it's like they've had a fight and uh -huh. and your 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 warband leader has been, you know, because he's been contested, his leadership has been reduced, but his he's been he's defeated his rival. So his rival, which is in your war is in your party, gains a battle scar. Otherwise, so if you get beaten, your warband champion is removed from your order of battle and the rival unit gains the warband champion keyword. So you can lose your leader. <laughs> that's amazing. Like that, that's taking like the war boss mechanic to another level. Like you say, it's similar with the orcs. Um, potentially, your boss could end up having a fight with a rival and give them a battle scar, but nothing actually caused him to be removed from your order of battle <laughs> and effectively be perma killed. <laughs> Yeah, and if you're like us and you write all your fluff pre-game and all that, it's pretty sad to have to kill off a character, um, you know. <laughs> how how cool though is that then for your new warlord leader? Like you know, his part of his story is that he actually you know overthrew the previous warband leader, and uh, you could come up with you know what the really cool narrative scenario was for how he did away with his uh, his previous rival and commander. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 ama it's amazing. It's really cool. And then the others are uh, similar. They're 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 the same sort of thing. Um, uh, it's it's the um, if there is. Sorry, I'm just reading this. Uh, yeah, so you pick a unit that has a mark of have a mark of chaos. So it has to have a mark for the dark god one because obviously the gods aren't happy with that one that's been marked that's meant to be for them. And uh, if it if it passes its leadership test, it just gains a battle scar. Otherwise, it suffers spawndom. Now, I haven't <laughs> I haven't really described spawndom yet. Uh, this is one of the other unique things about the chaos crusade rules. What spawndom basically is is you remove that model or that unit from your uh, order of battle and you replace it with a chaos spawn model. <laughs> that's literally what spawndom is. So anywhere where I talk about spawndom. That's li they've literally just become so mutated that you can't see. But it can be a whole unit. Can you can just lose a whole unit off your order of battle, and it becomes a chaos spawn. <laughs> That's amazing. Does it does it or does it not um, transfer things like rank and battle honors, or is it like a, a fresh spawn? Um, it's it's literally it's literally. Um, it, it does gain the appropriate number of XP, and yeah. So if you're adding a new unit. <laughs> It gains That's the XP of, of that, which is really cool, and it gains the appropriate battle honors and things. Otherwise, if you already have a Chaos Spawn unit, it just adds one to that number until you've maxed out, basically. But it's it's really cool. 
that that's cool so the first time that like you know so not only is your warlord busy contending with the logistics of middle management and trying to keep his warband together but he could end up being um done in by one of his rivals and just straight up killed or he could displease the gods enough that he gets turned into a spawn <laughs> it's uh, great like or there's, there's... or yeah, the or he loses D three requisition points because that's it, and this is that's the Warfleet glory loss. It's like your resources are running low, so not only are you suffering with all the glory, you've just lost D three requisition points instantly, and that's just on a roll of a one. You just lose D three, so it's it's pretty rough. <laughs> this honestly is, is kind of starting to sound like the most hardcore like crusade rules we've had to date so far, because honestly there's as much punishment and like difficulties to deal with here as there are rewards when typically it feels like ones previous to it have just been trying to work towards awards that you should hopefully eventually achieve whereas mm. this is you need to be on top of it otherwise it's gonna start getting away from you and uh, i i kind of like that i kind of like that maybe this is going to be one of the places to go for that next level crusade experience you know um maybe once you're looking for something more in depth or a bit more challenging than you know the uh, the vanilla space marines crusade rule set at the moment or the, <laughs> perhaps the necrons gaining names you know like you could definitely see the advancement of uh, where they've come from across the edition so far with these crusade rules yeah, absolutely. Do you know what's? It's funny you say that because even even with the Eldar, um, what rule sets the the Crusade rule set, I feel like it it isn't even as this is a whole other level, um, of of meatiness. So, um, yeah, it's it's really cool. So then, um, now that you've either you know gained or lost all these requisition points, having gained or lost ranks in glory by having gained or lost chaos points, <laughs> what is the uh, the ultimate uh, plan for these requisition points. What can you actually do with them in the uh, Chaos Crusade? Absolutely. So, so we've got these ones aren't quite as tasty as the agendas. I don't think there's there's a couple of sort of normal-ish ones. There's one called for Chaos, which just gets you one Chaos point, which I guess could get you out of a pinch maybe if you really needed one and you had loads of requisition points knocking around. Um, there's one called Commune with the Dark Gods, which uh, allows your priests. Because obviously, when you play Crusade, once you've picked your um, prayers and once you've picked your uh, psychic, you know, uh, powers, th those are the ones you can have to stick with for the rest of your Crusade, unless you change it through the requisitions in the main book. But yeah, this allows you to to change uh, your prayers for one uh, requisition, and then there's another one that kind of gives you gives a unit a chaos mark. So maybe you couldn't afford to give a unit a mark in the beginning, um, and you want to give it a mark now. Um, this gives you an opportunity to do that. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because a lot of uh, Crusade forces often take what some of the paid upgrades are in the standard version of the Codex, be it the um, the upgrades of the Sisters of Battle or like the chapter ranks of Space Marines or like custom jobs for Orcs, and it puts them behind um, a requisition paywall or a level of XP requirement. And the idea is that obviously your crusade force advances to the point where it is starting to, you know, have master apothe uh, master apothecaries or custom jobs on your battle wagons and so on. Is that the case with the marks of chaos, or is this 
just another option for purchasing them off, uh, as well as being able to actually buy them on your order of battle that's it's a it's a really really good question and do you know what's so funny is as i was preparing for this i really looked for that because that was exactly what i was wondering as well is it would make sense that you over time your units pick which god they want to serve and you know uh, they, they decide on their on their marks and you have to pay for them as you go over time now I can't see anything that stops you when you're gathering your crusade force from taking marks straight away. So I would have thought, like you said, you know, even with relics and everything, it puts it behind a, um, a requisition paywall, like you said. So I can't see anything. Now, I'm happy to be corrected on that because um, I just I really, really couldn't <laughs> see it. And I really did look. Um, but no, I, as far as I can tell, you don't you don't have to. You can just take those chaos marks. So I suppose the other question then is how are marks acquired in power level list building? Because traditionally that is what Crusade is played with and most upgrades therefore are free. Or is it the case that in the 9th edition codex a mark of chaos perhaps increases the unit's power level by one? It does. It does. It's fifteen points and or and one power level, which is which is good because obviously that helps us in Crusade, doesn't it? Because um, yeah, um, it it allows you to distinguish who who costs more. But yes, it does. So, assuming that you are allowed to buy Marks of Chaos for units when you create your army lists, that is the difference. Then it would cost you a power level in order to have the mark, um, and in theory, you would like traits and relics you would have to buy it when you first add the unit to your army um, and you wouldn't just be able to add it at any point in time in the future unless you use the requisition equivalent to do that you know, at a later date in which case you're, you're able to do it as a upgrade at a later point in the lifespan of that unit and you're actually paying requisition as opposed to power level in order to get the mark I suppose well, um, you you have to you you still have to pay the power level. So yeah, it does it does say you need to make sure you you add on that extra power level. But I guess okay. like you said, if it's when you're initial list building and you're like, oh, you know, I don't have the extra one PL or fifteen points because when Darren and I play Crusade, we we make sure the points are pretty close as well. Um, yeah. But um, but yeah, so uh, you're absolutely right. I I can I see it as a later yeah, like you said. Oh, I can't quite get it on my obliterators um i'm going to pay for it now that i've got some requisition points knocking around and i've got and i've paid for the supply limit increase or whatever so fair enough yeah so it's, it's not like an alternate um method of acquiring the marks when you want them in the future fair enough mm. um so tell us then about this ascension to demonhood that you mentioned earlier yeah this is i think so yeah there's a couple of other requisitions knocking around um one one called rights of possession which kind of allows a core unit if you've got a master possession in your army it allows a core unit to be replaced by a demon kin unit which is cool we've seen that kind of thing in blood angels where you can take a unit out and replace it by a death company unit or whatever um but this is the best one for me attention to demonhood you purchase this requisition when a unit when uh 
when one of the following units from your crusade force gains the heroic or legendary rank so a traitor a, a character that has a mark of chaos and at least one chaos boon again we'll talk about boons in a minute a character that has three chaos boons or a warband champion that is favored in the personal glory category which is very interesting because for me there's one of those that's much easier to get than the others but we'll, mm -hmm. we'll see um you basically take this character off your order of battle and replace it with a demon prince. <laughs> and presumably they retain the same level of like ranks, battle scars, upgrades, blah, blah, blah. Because it's that essential upgrading of the character. It's still the same person. They just have a different data sheet now. Absolutely. And and yeah. the, other, the other really interesting thing about this is they have to have a mark of chaos. So if you haven't given him a mark of chaos, you have to pay for that that chosen the Pantheon requisition we talked about a moment ago, and they have to keep the same, you know, mark when they become a demon prince because that's them dedicating themselves to one of the gods and their gods blessing them with um, demon princehood, effectively. Um, yeah. So because I was going to ask this uh, question of just for Codex in general, whether or not undivided demon princes were a thing or not, or if it is the case that every demon prince, with the exception of Belakor has to be dedicated to a single god now yeah so on on the on the demon prince um right so let me let me have a look at this so on the demon prince um uh, page you've got demonic allegiance which is when you include this model in your army you must select one of the following corn Zinch, nogal slanesh uh, that model gains the faction keywords for us this battle. So if this if an army is battleforged, this model must also be upgraded to have a mark of chaos associated with that faction. So you're basically forced into paying the extra 15 points and one power level, no matter what, with your demon prince. It, it isn't a thing uh, to have an undivided one. Fair enough. Good to know. So yeah, so that's why, understandably, you have to have a mark at this point because that is the god who is ascending you to their you know, ranks of chosen uh, mortal servants now ascended to demonhood. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Um, cool. So I think that's about everything for requisitions, I believe. Have we missed mm -hmm. any? Or is, uh, um, no, there's Chaos uh, Reward you mentioned. Yeah, there's Chaos Reward, which is a simple one, really. Um, it's just you, you can get another a boon uh, instead of it's it's a it's an interestingly phrased um, requisition, which is once you're a char uh, a character gains a rank, it either suffers spawndom, <laughs> which I don't know why you'd want to pay a requisition to force it to suffer spawndom. Maybe you really don't <laughs> like that character, um, or it can gain a boon uh, in addition to any other battle honor. So it's it's quite cool. And and like I said, we'll we'll talk about boons very shortly. I've I've just got uh, an image in my head now of things going badly for your warlord and him having a rival <laughs> peer like come up and um <laughs> get rid of him um, and take command and then in the next game you're like but i i didn't want my sorcerer to be my new warlord like that's not what i want spawned him <laughs> 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 like for for being a treacherous uh, cur and uh, killing off the uh, core knight warlord leader uh, Korn has now spawned them to this Zinchian sorcerer who's trying to be all tricksy. <laughs> I like that. I think, I think that'd be a fun little narrative to tell itself. <laughs> um, 
so assuming that you survive long enough to maintain control of your warband and avoid spawndom and you've been slowly gaining XP in the favor of the gods, I believe we have a few a brand new battle traits that these various Chaos Space Marines and their ilk can actually earn over time. Yeah, absolutely. So we've we've kind of got um, the standard battle traits tables. We've got four tables here. Um, one for cultist units, one for demon engine and machine spirit units, one for core and demonkin units, and one for warpsmith and lord discordant units, which is quite nice. Um, this is got all sorts of bits in the core and demon can units feels very similar to the space marines ones so you've got standard stuff like increased ballistic skill by one and you know pick a doctrine um, there's one nice one in there which is each time it's marked for greatness it gains two xp instead of one destined for glory that's quite cool um two xp sorry on top of the two is it two that you get for mark for greatness or three three for mark for greatness i think it's, I think it's three yeah three yeah three so you get five xp on that unit if you choose it which is <laughs> really nice um um there's a really cool cultist one where you get the core you can give them the core keyword which is really naughty it opens up some stratagems for you there um you can also give make a cultist unit gain the let the galaxy burn ability which again is really cool um, you can give them you put them in the wonton phases um yeah the the, the, the others are the others are the others are fine the really interesting thing about this though is the chaos boots because this is their special battle trait stuff that um, the characters can pick instead. Um, but I'll, yeah, I don't know if you had any thoughts on any of those, any of those battle traits, or you wanted to know any uh, any other bits about them. Um, I was curious about. Uh, give us one each for the demon engines and one each for the the warpsmith slash lord discordant. Cool. Yeah. Um... So there's a good one in the Demon Engine one. Um, there's only three in the Demon Engine Machine Spirit unit one, but it's quite cool. Um, it's called Spirit of Damnation. If this unit has uh, the Machine Spirit keyword, it basically gets the Demon and Demon Engine keywords and it gains the Demon Engine ability, which is really nice because it means that it's getting all the buffs that you want from the Lord Disco and the Warpsmith. Um, so that's quite cool, like on tanks and things like that, where they're slowly sliding down and becoming more and more <laughs> demonic that's cool um so so by right in thinking that that means you, you could apply that to like say a land raider yeah i'm just trying to work yes so i think land raiders and um predators and rhinos are they must all be machine spirit keyword i can't see the machine spirit keyword there having a quick look I, I, I would guess uh, i would guess certainly that the land raiders at least would be machine spirit units which the idea of taking you know the now pretty tasty chaos land raiders and making them even more demonic and uh, infused with warp energy sounds like a great idea uh, uh, absolutely i think it might only be the chaos land raider that has the machine spirit keyword actually so that's really interesting <laughs> Fair enough. Watch out for those soul shatter cannons. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's literally that rule is literally just um, for those horrible things. Like you said, they're they're quite nice now. So, um, and then one for the warp smith lord disco. Um, 
you can these are quite standard ones um there's one where you can basically use the corrupt machine spirits ability or enrage machine spirits ability one additional time so that's yeah. you know where you can give them a little boost which is it's quite nice your, your standard upgrades of be tech marine better or pray more yeah you know <laughs> fair enough absolutely um cool so moving on then from the basic tables what else do we have in the battle traits yeah great so so the next section is chaos boons so this is like um you know every every uh crusade has this it's like you you have your standard battle traits and then you have something special that only only you guys can can get um a, a mechanic just just for you um so i think darren i think you'll like some of these because there's some there's some nurgly things in here um effectively instead of getting a battle on the normal way you can choose just just for characters bear in mind um you can choose to roll a d33 which i don't have in my collection but it is just 2d6s <laughs> or 2d3s actually specifically it needs to be 2d6s and not 2d3s which is i'll tell you why in a minute um where and then you pick from a table and the stuff on the table is is pretty standard you know you've got add three inch to move characteristic add one to wounds add one to attacks reroll advance and charge extra ap so it's kind of your standard set of stuff that you can get for characters it feels kind of normal but it's worth bearing in mind you can have these in addition to the ones that you can get from the core rulebook so you can stack yeah. them and make them quite nice and of course being chaos boons they all come with a suitably you know uh, characterful mutation that represents these stat increases <laughs> absolutely you've got a scorpion tail you've got iron hard talons you've got eightfold eyes it's it's great it's it's all the good yeah. stuff basically <laughs> um but there's the really cool bit of this is that that dice roll that you've just done for your d33 actually you need to look at another you need to look at another table if you get a blessed number so uh, yeah. it's the, we've the, got the narrative favorite classic there tables within tables <laughs> it is it is t it's table inception um so if you if your d6 that you've rolled you'd roll two d6s obviously the first one is your, your first number for the d33 the second one's the second number for the d33 if your numbers add up to a sacred number and your the model that you're rolling the for the boon on if that matches the mark that that model has so it's quite a specific <laughs> it's quite specific yeah. we're talking about right. you if can pick it yeah your mark of Sonesh needs to roll a six your mark of nurgle character needs to roll a seven so on so on exactly yeah then 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 you basically you can you can pick a special boon and that is either you use one of your your special stratagems for free which is quite nice once per battle so you can use yeah, one of the one of the Slanesh stratagems for free if you get a six, blah blah blah. The other part of it is really interesting, and you've got some really naughty things here. So if you get a six on your mark of Slanesh, um, each time attack is made, you can't reroll hits, wounds, or damage against it. So it's like what you were talking about, but <laughs> it applies the wounds and the damage. So it, it's quite a nice little little buff there. Um. Yeah, your, your Nurgle can regain one wound in the command phase and auto-passes out of action tests. Um, Corn becomes a den at once per turn denial. And the Zinch one is melee sixes to hit is a mortal wound, which is really cool. Um, but yeah. Especially in Wanton Slaughter. Ah, on the six, that's two, that's additional hit and a mortal wound. 
Absolutely, it's great. It's 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 really cool. So I don't I don't think there's anything too overpowered in this. I just think it's a nice bit of flavor, effectively. Yeah, we've so we've seen like chaos boons previously in the Death Guard and Thousand Sons books. So we know that they're a sort of tried and tested aspect of Chaos Crusades, but this does feel like it's adding that extra little layer, you know, um, and it's just that next step, that next evolution of this. But that's all in addition to obviously everything else we've already talked about. So I think it's um, it, it, it's basically you know good solid core concepts for Chaos upgrades, and uh, you know it is good. The result. How does this sound compared to your um, Death Guard um, Crusade, Darren? I was going to say it's there's definitely some elements that they've I like have borrowed from or like taken from it and like kind of twisted a little bit more in this. Um, like the Chaos Boon with the D thirty three was in the Death Guard Codex as well, mm. but um, I think in that so it was like if you got too many of them as too many boons as well you then suffered spawn them as kind of uh, like a punishment absolutely. as well i mean it's nice that obviously things like the death guard have their own takes on stuff where part of their crusade is all about you know building and manipulating their perfect concoction you know for their plagues that they um, are bestowing upon anybody who gets too close and the fact that they've got options like the virulent gifts from warzone charadon um so it's nice to see that chaos can be taken in all these different directions i mean literally the other episode recently we talked about how um wazon nakamund rift war basically has about three different things purely for zinchian you know <laughs> chaos crusade forces so in addition to you know that chaos armies of renown and their arcane points and their uh, cabalistic rituals and anything else that they can do they could also go hunting for all these other resources so there is honestly like just a treasure trove of chaos crusade rules now to be digging through isn't there you know you can be doing anything now really with your chaos forces yeah there's just so like i said there's so much like they're really fleshing it out i, I just like that they do they do focus on the different kind of uh the little bands between, like, say, Nurgle, Slanesh, Corn, Zinch. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm expecting that when the world Eater, when the world eaters codex lands, there's going to be three agendas in there named kill, main, and burn. I just assume that's <laughs> going to be the case. <laughs> there better be. <laughs> there better be. Um, so yeah, then I, I think to sort of. Um, we're almost at the end, but before we get to the last bits of uh, some Legion-specific examples, we do have some Crusade Relics to go over. So there's a, a couple of ones that you want to pick out for us, isn't there, Elliot, that you want to highlight? Yeah, we've, 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 got, we've got some really nice ones. And, and Darren, you'll, you'll like this uh, because, like you said, if you, if you like the idea of devoting to different gods, all of the Antiquity Relics, which are like your level 2 Relics, your Heroic Rank Relics, there's one for each um mark so i'll I'll just run through these because these are all really cool and then there's a legendary relic which is well we can talk about legendary relic in a minute because it's absolutely amazing but let's let's roll through some of these so the first one is the slaughterer's helm which is for a mark of corn infantry model you add one to the bearer's strength toughness wounds and attacks characteristics uh, absolutely ridiculously amazing 
And when in melee, uh, when in melee, it's considered to be in wanton slaughter. So you're getting exploding sixes all the time. So we've seen other relics. There are other relics in the codex that are like this, um, but this is really great. Like it's 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 really cool. The only thing is, <laughs> there is a downside. You can't fall back or perform actions. So. Um, not falling back is pretty tough, <laughs> but um, performing actions probably doesn't matter so much, maybe. Um, but, yeah. I think it's fair to say Khan does not consider those drawbacks. <laughs> <laughs> it's far beneath them to fall back or do something that someone else has told them to do or think too much, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you just... think about looking at the, the stats on that helm, though, it's like, as well, like if you put that on your let's say, demon prints and it would stack up with all the other things that you'd get with it you know what i mean that'd be because you get extra attacks with this helmet plus his extra attacks this is like base 10 anyway yeah unfortunately i can't put this on my um on my demon prince because he's um because he's not a uh infantry model oh, but okay. yeah you're, you're right if <laughs> i wish i could I'll, I'll squeeze it on his head somehow or something because <laughs> that that would be amazing but you know you can you can make quite a naughty chaos lord beat stick or um, there's there's all sorts you can do to be honest. Um, I, I think it's fair to say that if Cabanda can have a helm, then I think a demon prince can find a helmet that'll fit him as well. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. Um, but yeah, so that's that's Colin's one. So tell us about some of the other um, god-specific relics. Yeah, th this this one um, blows my mind. Uh, Book of Fate. Um, if a, uh, this is for a Zinch model and this can be any Chaos Inks model. Um, if a Psyker model has this relic, it knows all the powers from any disciplines it has access to. Wow, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, if it's not a Psyker, then it gets a Psyker keyword and can do one, you know, it's a, it becomes a 1-1 one, one Psyker. But I mean, just being able to be like, okay, I just know all these powers. And uh, is, there, is there something like this in the Thousand Suns? I'm not sure. Well, so the main difference here is that in the Thousand Suns book, I'm pretty sure every single character is already a Psyker. Um, mm -hmm. Where I see this bit of use is things on like a um, Dark Apostle with the Mark of Sage, mm. because then he would get to be a Psyker as well as a Priest. That's so cool. You could go Command Phase, Priest powers, Psychic Phase, Psychic powers. That's really cool, actually. Um, the other thing, arguably, is things like a disciple of Belakor, sorcerer, um, who would have the mark of Zinch, but they would also have access to the uh, Belakor psychic law, so like the powers of the Dark Master. Yeah. So you could gain access to all of the like shadow discipline stuff uh, in that case on like a Zinchian disciple. That's really true. I was I was thinking way below. I was thinking just putting on my master possession, but that's uh, yeah, <laughs> that's really naughty. Because I, I think with a master possession, it's nice to have the flexibility to choose between those. But that's uh, yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> I mean, like again, places where like a lot discordant, you know, turning him into a psyker, just being able to add spikes on top of everything else he does is good. It, it basically depends on whether or not you want to double down on getting access to a massive toolbox selection for a unit that already is a Psyker, or whether or not, like you were kind of saying with you know, giving core keywords to cultists, opening up options you didn't previously have, do you want to do that by 
making a non-psychic unit a psyker. Um, mm. And I, I presume the relic specifies what discipline they would pick from. I'm guessing it's the Zinchian one, whatever one is in that book. Um, it says, oh, in terms of what what they get, well, they they know Smite, Schemes of Fate, and one of the power from Dark Hereticus. So they... Okay, so it's, yeah, so it's a standard yeah. um, like sort of chaos powers list. Cool. Yeah, they get the Zinch special one, and then they get one extra, which the Zinch special one is um, you can pick a Zinch unit with an 18, and it gets a 4 pin vault, which is quite nice. Um, so yeah, that's the that's the Zinch one. Um, yeah, like that. It's pretty cool. Um, Nurgle on, one. Sorry. Yeah, go on. So I was just going to say what I quite like about that power. It just sounds like that kid on the playground that's like, I have the power to have all the powers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it, absolutely. <laughs> I'll I, I tell you what, though, as well. You, it's funny you say that, is that in Crusades, bear in mind your Psyker's powers are locked in unless you play requisition points. How, knowing all of them in specifically in Crusade is actually quite it's actually more useful than in match play <laughs> because That's in match play your next game you can just go oh, I'm just going to pick different powers next game well if you don't like your powers and you pick rubbish ones in your first game um, it, you know and you don't have the requisition points to pay for it knowing all of them is actually really quite helpful so you could also kind of like use requisition points to change to Zinch to then get this even if you've got someone with a different mark because I know you were saying that you could pay to change your mark. Oh, yeah. Was that a thing that you could do? Was it? Could you was it pay to change, or was it just to, to gain one? It was pay to gain one. I was. Yeah. It's in, yeah. I didn't see a pay to change one. No, I don't. I don't think you can change it. Oh, okay. uh, I guess you could just remove that unit though and just stick one in with the other mark yeah. if you if it's not yeah. got too many, but. Or, or let your vicious rivals just do it for you. <laughs> yeah, they'll probably die somehow anyway, so you can just <laughs> probably just wait. Turn to spawn them somehow. Um, the, the next one that we've got is Gurgling Doom, which is the Nurgle one. And I'll have to say this is probably... This is cool, but it's, it's, it's probably not quite as powerful as the others. Um, but no, it is really cool. Um, each time the bearer fights... Uh, before it makes attacks, uh, you pick a, a unit within engagement range, and on a two-up, it just suffers D3 mortal wounds. So it's 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 a nice little option for a couple of mortal wounds once you're in combat. What when they take the out of action test though, uh, you actually minus two to that test. So it it is cool. Um, I I don't think this is that good because I'm a night lord and I get the minus two for free. But um, <laughs> it's um it is cool. I guess if you can stack that, if I gave gurgling doom to a Nurgle Demon Prince that I have in my Night Lord list, that minus two is really horrible because that becomes minus four. Um, and if it's so, within, if it's a Demon Prince, it's minus five. So, <laughs> just just to clarify here, is this the out of action test or combat attrition tests? I am absolutely wrong. You're correct. This is the, <laughs> the you're absolutely right. It's the out of action test. I've misunderstood. Then right. in that case, yeah, actually. Because... That's actually pretty yeah. horrible, then. Yeah, this is pretty mean. So this is, this isn't anything to do with morale. This is gaining yeah. that sort of bonus mini combat phase smite. But the other element of it is that if you presumably cause a unit to, if you destroy a unit in the game, mm. then when it makes its out of action test on a one, two, or three, it's going to be failing that out of action and therefore suffering either a battle scar or a um, a loss of experience. So 
actually. Yeah. This, yeah, you're this right. Is you're of, right. This is one of those that feels things. Very Nurgle, like leaving some infe- like in a festering wound sort of thing, like after the game. Yeah, this is something that's gonna uh, penalize other people's crusades on their crusade step. You know, like when it comes to sorting their army out and doing their admin post game, and uh, especially if you go back to our example of four to five chaos lords all duking it out. You know, having a Nurgle champion roaming around, actually basically hunting people down, forcing them to suffer injuries <laughs> with this weapon. Yeah. Um, yeah, that could be really cutthroat in that, uh, you know, uh, champion of chaos scenario. No, you're you're absolutely right. Actually, let me let me just rephrase this as well because I it you've 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 cleared my mind. This makes sense now, and it is actually really good because what it actually says is. This unit must take an out of action test at the end of battle, even if it wasn't destroyed. If it was destroyed, oh. subtract two. So you're forcing even non-killed units to take an out of action test. So it's really good. <laughs> oh yeah, that is that is not bad at all. So he could literally just run around like uh, poking one or two members of squads in forcing all those units to have to take out of actions. Or more than likely, what's going to happen is. Anything he kills on his rampaging is going to take the minus three, but probably what unit eventually kills him probably hasn't done it unscathed. And mm. that unit that you know kills him, he's still forcing them to take an out of action test. Yeah, it's really good actually. <laughs> <laughs> I can see why it, it'll be easy to get that confused with combat attrition, um, given the wording on stuff. But yeah, to say it's actually affecting out of action checks within Crusade, mm. that is pretty mean it's it's really good it's really and to be fair darren when we play crusade pretty much all of our units are taking out of action tests anyway aren't they so yeah yeah usually doing like a little like a big roll off in the admin phase at the end for the uh, out of action tests <laughs> um um so then let's uh, let's get this last god dedicated relic out of the way tell us about the flawless cloak from Sumesh. yeah absolutely so this is permanent transhuman which is just and, oh well yeah it's it's just great um, it's uh, it, you know we've got a lot of units out there that that have a one to three um, you know wound rolls failing in fact you faced that didn't you so it's it's was that was that on the hits or was that on the wounds um, and that was you were hit facing rolls it, it was hits was it it is wound but, rolls because it's transhuman yeah it's, it's it's unmodified wound rolls and then but also you get three inches um, extra range on your bearers on the bearers aura abilities and any ability the bearer uses in your combat phase so command phase sorry so it's actually it's it's, it's quite good it's got two quite strong um uh, you know abilities just on this one cloak so it must be made of I, well i don't really want to know it's the slanesh cloak so <laughs> <laughs> but whatever it's made of it's flawless <laughs> <laughs> um cool uh, however, I believe there's also one other, is it a legendary relic that you wanted to tell us about, which is not god-specific? It isn't, and I'm so excited that this is in here. I'm literally so excited. And there's a little, uh, I won't read the prelude, there's a whole bit in here which is talking just about this, uh, it's got its own little section, um, this relic, because it is the Murder Blade, which is absolutely amazing. It's um, it's a meant to be forged from a shard of the um, anathame is how you say it anathame anathame yeah, anathame. Anath- anathame there you go which is the uh, supposed to be the weapon that 
killed uh, Warmaster Horus uh, on Davin's moon. So that's this is it's really cool. Um, this is what corrupted Horus. Um, this is a bit of a weird relic, though. It's a really cool thing that it's in here, um, and it is quite naughty. So it can just be given to any any character unit. Um, each time the player makes an attack. Um, and it successfully wounds the target, the and the target has the character keyword, it inflicts three mortal wounds, and the attack sequence ends. If it has the Primarch or Demon Primarch keyword, it inflicts D3 plus three mortal wounds. Otherwise, the target suffers two mortal wounds. So, <laughs> it's just a strength user weapon, so it's just a little, because it's just a little, you know, shard, isn't it? It's not anything scary it's not adding to your strength but if you put this on a demon prince let's say for example a corn demon prince <laughs> that's already strength eight and has a billion attacks this could be really 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 horrible um because it's mortal wounds so there's not really much you can do about it well there's a, there's a few things some people can but it's it's really cool that it's in the book you just quite like that like you say the law behind it as well the little write-up like bringing horus into it well, I really like the fact that it does pretty much what it says on the tin in that it, um, it, it's, its various points of mortal wound damage are basically designed to murder those particular um, levels of character because two mortal wounds on a standard Joe infantry model, well, that's killing a space marine. You know, the, mm. the, the number of like standard troops in the ninth edition rule set that have two wounds, that's going to kill them. If it's above that and it's a character, then being flat free mortal wounds basically means that, you know, one stab on an injured character is possibly going to kill them and two stabs is almost certainly going to do it because very few of these characters have more than six wounds. Then by the time that you're going up to your Primarch level stuff, um, you know, being, uh, was it D3 plus three? Yeah. You know, even even um, Gulliman himself only has nine standard. So, you know, with one high-end roll, you've got a chance of knocking six of his nine wounds off on a single attack. Mm. Like, this thing is designed to basically, you know, cut the life force of anything it touches, and that's basically scaled to the sort of characters that we have within the game system. Yeah, and I love that it includes Demon Primarch as the so it's Primarch and Demon Primarch or Demon Primarch. It's it's cool that that you get that. It's 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 really it's really nice. Again, back to our four-player Champion of Chaos scenario. We got one person going around <laughs> with the Murder Blade, hunting down Mortarians and Magnuses and Angrons. Yeah, yeah, we've got we've got um, yeah we've got a bunch of Demon Primarchs now, haven't we? So. A whole bunch. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's sort of more or less everything that encompasses um, the general scope of all these, you know, chaos on crusade rules. And just to sort of wrap it all up for us, um, Elliot, you've got a couple of uh, legion-specific examples you ought to pull out because uh, I believe that each legion in here has a specific agenda, requisition, battle trait table, and a relic just for them. Yeah, that's right. It, they've got a page each um, just for that, so it's it's amazing. So you've uh, you've picked out a few uh, choice ones from across the range of different categories and across each of the legions. Do you want to run us through some of your favourite picks? 
Yeah, so obviously I, I'm a Night Lords player, so I've I've studied the Night Lords one, but the others I've all, I've gone through them all, and there's there's so much fluffy stuff here. It's it's really really nice. No matter what your Legion is, it's it's going to be it's going to be really tasty. Um, for Black Legion, I picked out an agenda uh, called Corpses and Cinders. That it, it just gives you a bunch of XP. It gives you three XP um, per unit that is alive on the battlefield if you wipe out. The enemy it's, it's very similar to a space marine one actually which i think is is fitting but also uh, your warlord champion gets an additional d3 chaos points so it's it's like the space marine one but a bit better so <laughs> it's uh, it's really really cool um your word bearers have got a requisition called uh, grizzly sacrifice uh where you can basically kill off one of your characters to gain xp for the rest of your warband and glory and the higher rank that that character is, the more um, glory chaos points that you get. <laughs> That's awesome. So you, you can literally it... be like, oh, I've got images now of between games picking a character and constantly marking them for greatness to basically just bloat them with ranks just to be ready for the slaughter. <laughs> Yeah, it's it could be it, it's so good. It's really really nice. I like that you know the sacrificial element because I'm I'm not a word bearers fan. I flipping hate word bearers. So like <laughs> I love the I love the concept of just like yeah just oh I've got this really cool character. Do I kill him off because it will get me like up to oh, well it's it's massive. If you kill off a um, a legendary champion, so that's the top one, right? If you kill off. Um, legendary it's d3 plus six chaos points so it's huge you could get a mass it's the biggest payoff i've found in the whole book so you can you can really bump up your uh your glory in somewhere so yeah it's worth considering <laughs> <laughs> again those treacherous rivals always plotting behind your back planning to sacrifice you <laughs> I think this has to happen now. I think I think I need to find a word bearers player so my night lords can tear them to shreds. I'm looking forward <laughs> to it. Um, for night lords, we'll come on to. There's a really cool requisition called Curse Claw. Um, as we know that, like I don't know, I say as we know. Sorry, I'm talking as if everybody knows about night lords. Um, night lord squads are made made up of claws instead of squads. There you go. Um, uh, you can pick a core um, night lords unit and it becomes cursed. Um, which is so cool. It gets a curse keyword. Um, the unit champion gains a warlord trait from the warlord night lords trait table, which is also really cool. Um, uh, but it can never be given a mark of chaos. Um, and each time it's marked for greatness, it only gains one XP. So it's kind of like you, it's it's showing the independence of the night lords. You know, they've got yeah. each, each little claw has its own leader. I think it's amazing. That's cool. Um, right, stop talking about Night Lords now. Right, Crusade <laughs> Relic 4. Um, the Iron Warriors is, is also, uh, again, they've got loads of cool stuff here, but I, I think this relic's amazing. It's called Warp Breacher, and you can give it to a Warp Smith or a Lord Discordant. And you can pick any Iron Warriors vehicle, and in within three inches of the of the said Warp Smith or Lord Disco, and until your next command phase, it gains the Demon Engine and uh, demon and demon engine keywords and it gains de demon engine ability so it's opened it up to vehicle which includes things like um hell roots and it's, it's it's so cool i'm really a big fan of this land one. raiders <laughs> <laughs> 
there you go we're back to we're back to that horrible combination of de demonic land raiders <laughs> definitely watch out for them in the iron warrior crusades that's all i'm saying yeah um alpha legion so you, you'll notice i'm basically uh, tipping between requisitions and relics because I think that they, some of the agendas are good, but the requisite and the battle traits are fine. Um, but the requisitions and relics are just so good. So the Alpha Legion requisition is called Cult Uprising, and it's when you add a cultist uh, unit to your army, uh, it instantly gets six XP uh, and goes go straight up to blooded rank, and you can pick and then you you know you stick your battle honor on it. So it's again it's similar to one that you get in the space marine codex where you can you know like veterans of i can't remember what it was called hardened not hardened veterans something like that where you can give an elite unit five x six xp straight away but this is for a cultist unit i think it's great <laughs> yes it's trained cultists basically you know yeah I'm a big fan um emperor's children relic uh, called the Snoll, the Snoll, the Soul Snare Sigil, and uh, for each model killed in combat, effectively after after they fought, fought, it actually says after they have finished making their attacks, uh, the bearer regains one lost wound up to a maximum of three wounds per phase. Now the reason why that's really cool is because if you fight first and you're weakened, you could get even you know if you're even if you're thrown into a big blob of something cheap. Um, you can you can get a few wounds back so you could actually throw uh you know your wounded hero into a big you know blob of or you know, orcs is a terrible example actually i'm not throwing stuff into big blobs of orcs is never a good idea <laughs> uh, uh, throw it into a big blob of guardsmen that's better um and hope they don't get those auto wounding sixes on the overwatch um you know that's you can get a bunch of wounds back and then they fight you back and you're a bit tougher i think that's quite nice Um, and then the last two uh, we've got Red Corsairs um, the requisition more where they came from uh, best name of a requisition I've uh, I've seen <laughs> and it is select one Red Corsairs unit from your order battle that has one or more battle scars it loses all of its battle star battle scars um, uh, and loses all or any of its battle traits it currently has so you do you lose your battle scars, but you also lose your battle traits. But for each battle trait you lose, you can pick a new battle trait, and you have to create a new name for that unit. So it's like, it's, it's like it's. I just think it's so great because it's just an auto replacement of you lose all your scars, but you lose your traits. Here's some new ones. But the key bit I liked here is it forces you to create a new name for that unit. So it's definitely no longer the one that was there before. It's it's really yeah, it's, it's reinforcements. It's like they've been swapped out for uh, new recruits or another warbands, you know, fighters. Yeah, I think it's I think it's lovely. Um, finally, we've got Creations of Bile. Um, they've got a, a relic called Supreme Creation. So one unit gets three battle traits of your choice but then can only gain one xp per game max and can't perform any actions or use any abilities or auras so it's basically just a big old monster <laughs> i think this is really really cool um <laughs> it's yeah it is what it says on the tin. <laughs> yeah this, this is your it's almost like greater possessed you know sort of style scenario where it's um this is the the bile's new man creation it's the primaris Chaos Space Marine or the uh, Custodian Guard, you know, uh, genetics 
um, infused into one of his creations. Uh, but like you say, he's become somewhat a bit of a genetic Frankenstein at this point, and uh, is not going to be able to bestow actions or auras to other people because they probably don't want to get too close to this particular monstrosity. But uh, <laughs> he, he's going to rip anything apart that he does touch. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking of like Bane from Batman, like the comic book Bane, you know, with his like all of his um, stuff pumped into his back. <laughs> yeah, all these pipes and uh, uh, venom, I believe it was called his uh, yeah. his drug. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. Excellent. Well, that is just about everything now for. Um, Chaos Space Marines on Crusade and it's fair to say that was by no means an exhaustive list of everything that's in there. That's just a very mm. sort of top level review of what it is they get up to and the many, many, many ways in which it can go horribly wrong but the few <laughs> ways in which it can also go very, very, very well. And uh, for those that are willing to pay the price and willing to backstab their rivals, then eternal glory can be theirs. <laughs> and failing that spawned him so <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's all uh, fun in the eyes of the gods I think like you said before Tony that definitely does sound like kind of like crusade on hard mode yeah it definitely is this is definitely yeah. the most punishing like self punishing crusade list we've seen so far like, like crusade rules wise other stuff you might not get a great deal if you're not succeeding, but you're not really getting penalised for that. Whereas here, you are definitely suffering the consequences if you are not furthering the cause of chaos. I think that's very fitting to chaos, though, as well, isn't it? It's... It is. Uh, you know, high risk, high reward it is literally the, the 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 way of chaos. <laughs> so. Thank you, um, Elliot and Darren, for coming on and going through all of this with us, um, especially for you know digesting all these chaos rules. And <laughs> so I didn't have to, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm sure it will make for a great you know experience for anyone playing with these chaos crusade rules. I especially think a clash of chaos forces would make for a great like small scale campaign. Um, I think these rules would really lend themselves towards that you you practically wouldn't even really need a ladder system or a scoring system within the campaign you would just have everyone's uh levels of glory literally be your scoreboards yeah i really like that idea um so yeah like i say definitely if you've picked up the new chaos book and you're looking to play some crusade then don't you know skimp on this have a look at it see what plans you can make Work out which of your secondary characters are going to be stabbing your first character in the back and then which of your tertiary characters are going to be stabbing the second one in the back <laughs> and so on <laughs> and so forth. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's been great. I've, I'm glad we found some time to be able to do some of these on Crusade segments again and looking forward to doing more in the near future. Um, so we will quickly round out um, tonight's show with our quick community spotlight. Um, so Elliot you've been leading us for the last off section of the show so how about you lead us out with the community spotlights what's your picks for tonight awesome yeah so um, two of my good friends from uh, my community uh, in London they're, they're 
they're both amazing painters um uh, one of my friends jake he's whoops whammers on instagram he does um, some amazing conversions he converted my uh night lord demon prince for me for my secret santa which is what we were chatting about earlier but he he really does some lovely stuff so definitely check him out on on instagram and um my other my other shout out would be um uh Diodrin, um on instagram so it's d-i-r-e-d-r-i-n on instagram and it, his name's grant and he again does some amazing painting um he's just gone done an amazing titanicus uh little uh what they called titanicus maniple um that's right um but he does some amazing painting and he does it very very quickly um so uh, yeah go check those two out on instagram there they both do some amazing work excellent uh, links uh, for those will be in the description below so go check those out and uh darren i don't know if you've got any shout outs you'd like to mention uh yeah i think I'll, sticking with the uh, chaos theme of the episode i think i'll go with a guy called uh, overdrive xzx on instagram um really nice conversions but mainly like he just built this one it's one of my favorite conversions i've seen um it always sticks with me but it's uh he's in a demon prince but it's like some of the pieces that he's used in it and it's like like the legs of Mortarion, um, a head off a Bulgrin, um, loads of different bits, and he's just created like a really nice kind of like Black Legion, uh, like custom Chaos army. Well worth checking out. Awesome, yeah, I'll definitely have to check that one out. Um, and then finally, uh, the shout out for myself um, tonight is, in fact, a shout out for myself because <laughs> um, in the last uh, two weeks, I have actually appeared on not one, but two other 40k podcasts with a Crucible of War segment discussing the narrative event that we ran and talking to the hosts of the Ashes of the Imperium podcast and Masters of the Forge podcast. So if you want to go check out both of those shows, their most recent, their most recent episodes, um, feature uh, myself as they both invited me on uh, their respective shows to come and do an interview about the crucible of war because uh, they'd seen um, you know like their social media posts and the uh, posts in discord channels and so on and uh, they thought it was a really interesting topic and they wanted to talk to me about the event because they they loved the idea of it and um, actually um Hopefully, the guys from Ashes of the Imperium might actually be able to make it to the Crucible of War to, to uh, experience it for themselves. And I can tell you that um, Adam and Jason from Masters of the Forge um, are somewhat jealous that they can't justify flying across the Atlantic <laughs> uh, to, <laughs> to complain it. But if they could, they would. Um, so, yeah, those are two great interviews. I had a great time chatting with um, both hosts of both shows. And yeah, um, go check them out because again it's just an, another perspective and rather than our tales of the crucible this was uh, me talking about how it all came together in the first place and uh, how it went on the day and plans for the future so if you if you want to hear more <laughs> discussions about the crucible of war then that's where you're going to find two more uh, lovely bits of content for you right there so go check them out that is the Ashes of the Imperium 40k podcast and Masters of the Forge 40k podcast. Again, links will be in the description below. Go check them out. Yeah, it sounds really cool. I'll definitely go check them out as well. 
Yep. Um, they're both great shows anyway in their own right. You know, I listen to them regularly, so definitely go check them out. Um, so that is everything for tonight. So thank you once again, Elliot and Darren, for coming on and talking chaos with me and talking crusade and just generally having a great time. Oh, thank you very much, Tony. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. It's been really, really great. No worries. You're both welcome on again anytime. So, until next time, guys, this has been the Narrative Wargamer Podcast, helping you to discover more ways to play 40k. Bye.